Um, during the week, a lot of emotions have been coming up uh, for me about uh, my connection with God, and uh, I sort of related to being the Messiah and a lot of first century type of emotions, which I'm really afraid of getting into. And because I'm pretty afraid of getting into them, um, I shut myself down quite a lot this week, and as a result of that, I get sick instantly. As soon as I shut myself down, I get sick instantly, pretty much nowadays. And so um, I've, I started getting sick about uh, Wednesday-ish, and uh, I started trying to deal with the fear firstly, and I've had quite a few fear-based events since then, but I've still not dealt with the fear, so the blockage is still there, which means, which means that the sickness hasn't gone away. So. It's going to continue from now on until I get over the fear and into the emotions. Um, usually I've had this happen quite frequently uh, at times over the last five or six years where I've had different events occur and taken some time to get out of the blocking of the event and into the actual like feeling the blockages and releasing the blockages and then eventually get into the core emotion. And you've probably found the same uh, in some of your progression for those of you who are beginning to progress on the emotional path. So the key is to not judge yourself very much, uh, which I've had a terrible tendency to do in the past, not so much now. Um, and probably the majority of you have found at times you've had a tendency to judge yourself of not getting to your emotions. So my suggestion is to just allow the emotions to come up naturally. And that's uh, what I'm trying to do firstly with my fear. So today you'll notice uh, at times that I'll be quite shaking, and I'll be shaking physically, because um, I'm still working through some fear and terror about some things. And you will also notice that my voice will sometimes fail, which is part of it. And I've got some fairly bad blockages across my chest today, so um, I find it a bit difficult to breathe, sort of a bit, a bit asthmatic today, which has been the first time I've had that feeling for a long time. So, so that tells me that I've got an interesting few weeks coming up. <laughs> all of that. And, uh, and usually what I find is it might take a few weeks to a month for me to work through, if I work through them solidly, those emotions, it might take me a few weeks to a month to work through them. So hopefully by the next time I see you, I'll be feeling good again. At the moment, not feeling too good. That all being said, um, the subject that I'd like to talk to you today about is a really important subject for your own progression. It's the subject of longing for God's truth, which is really prayer for God's truth. And prayer for God's truth is one of the most essential things because it's the truth that actually sets you free. But it's not your truth that sets you free. It's God's truth that sets you free. Does that make sense to everyone? And so there is a huge difference between what is your personal truth and what God actually feels about you and what God knows about you. And in the end, what we need to do, to do is start getting ourselves away from what we feel about ourselves in terms of what we believe ourselves to be and get ourselves into this state of actually coming to know how God sees us and beginning to see ourselves the same way that God sees us. Now, as you can imagine, that process is quite difficult because God has this huge universal view of everything, including this huge universal long-term view about yourself. 
So he knows exactly what you're capable of, right down to the most powerful thing you'll ever do. And he knows exactly what you're capable of, right down to the most negative and evil thing you might contemplate. God knows all those things and everything in between about you. But often we don't want to know them about ourselves. And so what we do, and what the majority of us has done all of our lives, is we've developed this fictitious viewpoint of ourselves. And anything that triggers or anything that confronts that fictitious viewpoint of ourselves, we don't want to see. And so what we spend doing, finish up doing is spending a lot of our life uh, avoiding truth and avoiding our law of attraction in order to not see the things that are actually going on inside us. Just turn this down a little. So what we need to do is get out of this state of this fictitious viewpoint of ourselves and get into this state of seeing ourselves very clearly. But that is very, very difficult right at the start of this progression that you're entering into. Now, the transition between seeing yourself as you wish to see yourself and starting to see yourself as God sees you and actually enjoying it rather than avoiding it is the transition that we make from the second to the third sphere of our development in the spirit world. So, up until then, in the second sphere of the spirit world, we're making the transition from the first to the second sphere is all about actually learning to see love differently. And most of us don't see love, uh, we see love in a very, very selfish way when we begin. And then as we start developing, we start seeing love in a totally different way. And that's the transition, the desire for us to see the truth about love, that is often the transition between the first sphere and the second sphere. So many of you have gone through that transition of starting to see that you actually not as loving as what you thought you were. And many of you have gone through that, going through that transition of starting to see that actually the things that you thought about yourself regarding love were actually in error. So many of you have gone through that transition or are going through that transition now. So that means you're going through the transition of getting from the first sphere to the second sphere. Now the second sphere location is a much, much different location because we start enjoying aspects of love whereas before we were avoiding them. So many of you are now going through this transition of starting to see these aspects of love and starting to enjoy seeing, oh boy, I was unloving now, I see that now, and you start to feel quite good about seeing yourself a little more clearly with regard to love. Now of course it's, there's lots of other gradients of love because we're talking about the seven spheres before the transition into a moment with God. Right? So in the first sphere to second sphere transition there's this big realisation that goes on generally and this desire to start to live love in the life. In the second to third sphere transition, it's the transition of the desire to live in truth. And particularly that transition is the case is if, on your, if you're on the divine love path. And it's that transition that I'd like to talk to you about today. Because many of you, if you're not already in it, are getting close to being in, it, in that transition. Now, Remember the last time we got together we talked about prayer? And so many of you were there, was it last week? It just seems so long ago. <laughs> many of you um, on the Saturday were quite surprised about some of the aspects of prayer, right? About how prayer is all emotional, for example. 
and that it's not intellectual. Our, you know, it requires truth and openness and transparency and all these other things that we require during prayer. What we're doing today is we're extending the definition of prayer into, and in this particular case, focusing on praying for one particular thing, and that is for divine truth to enter your life. So that's what we're focusing on today, is desire, building this desire within you for divine truth to actually start growing inside of you. Now, for many of us, when we start, divine truth comes to us in a very intellectual way. So it doesn't hit us emotionally, it actually usually hits us intellectually. And we go, wow, this all sounds really good. You know, particularly when you think back to when you first heard a lot of the universal truth that we discussed. How did you feel when you first saw those D original DVDs or the, you know, when you first came to those sessions, how did you feel? Most of us felt really buoyant. Wow, this is what I've been looking for all my life, understanding all of these things. It all makes sense. It all seems to fit together to me. You know, a lot of these emotions start flowing inside of us. But during that phase, we're not yet conscious of how God sees us. We're usually now starting to see the universe quite differently, but we're not that conscious of how we are within ourselves emotionally. And to become conscious of how you are yourselves emotionally is one of the biggest transitions you can make on the divine love path. And that's why it's such an essential part of your progression. And that's why I'd like to spend and devote the whole of this afternoon discussing that transition and what is involved in that transition. So, as, an, as a, um, if we remember from our discussion last week, prayer had to be emotional. Remember that? <laughs> prayer has to be truthful, sincere, pure. It doesn't come from your head. It comes from your passions, your desires, your longings. Remember all of those points from our last discussion. Now, what we want to do today is start seeing truth also needs to be emotional. Truth is not just an intellectual exercise. Truth is going to be an emotional exercise for us. And what we want to do is start showing you how that can come about in your own life. Now, last week on the Saturday, when I started to talk about aspects of truth, did you notice how internally upset many of you became who were there? Did you notice this inside turmoil that begins? You, you saying that I have to be truthful in this situation and in this situation and what about that situation? And You know, we start actually asking a lot of these questions about situations specifically that we thought it would be better to not be truthful or to withhold information or to maintain privacy or whatever it is that we were trying to do. What we, what we want to do today is start really deconstructing inside of ourselves this idea that we can actually connect to God without being truthful. Because the truth is, you can't. On the, I've read through four, three forums this week yeah, that I found interesting because, um, because I had some sleepless nights because of this problem that I'm going through. So I finished up reading through few uh, forums, which is something I wouldn't normally do. And many of those people that are on the divine love path were saying that they could receive divine truth, divine love without actually acknowledging divine truth, without knowing more truth. And I want to say that that's an impossibility, actually. It's an impossibility. 
there has to be, if you're receiving divine love, there has to be some new truth that you've also just grasped. Because without the truth, divine love cannot flow into you. Because remember the Holy Spirit, this is the, remember the Holy Spirit is that physical connection between God and you through which the divine love can flow into, into your soul. And that connection, that physical connection, can't connect unless you're in truth. So there has to be some new truth that you've just got for that connection and the divine love to flow at that particular instant. Does that make sense? Without that, it's impossible for divine love to continue to flow. And the role of the divine love isn't to prepare you for truth. The role of truth is to prepare you for divine love. Do you understand the difference? So you can think of it like this. The divine love is not something that you're going to receive if you want to stay out of harmony with truth. So remember we've got God, God's soul. So that's God. Everyone see that? It's pretty blind. And then we've got our soul, just for a moment, which is our emotions, passions, desires, Intentions. Let's. They're, they're really the key four things that our soul are. There are obviously many other attributes. Remember, the connection between our soul and God's soul was the Holy Spirit. Remember, I described that. The reason why it's called the Holy Spirit is because it's the only energy that God has that is used for the transmission of love, divine love, from God to you. So it is God's method of actually getting divine love into your soul, like a pipe that you get connected with. And remember, I've said in the past that the pipe, how only it can connect when we are in truth. So that's the whole principle. The pipe can only connect. You can think of it like the truth is like a gate valve, if you like, or a tap. When you open it, when you actually turn on the truth, then divine love flows. If you turn off the truth, then divine love stops. So, truth is really, in the end, what prepares your soul for the divine love to enter. Can you see that? Truth is the thing that prepares your soul for divine love, this love from God. Remember, divine love is the love from God. And it's the truth that prepares your soul for the reception of divine love. So, when divine love stops flowing within me, or if I've, felt, if I've felt myself that it's never flowed within me, it is because there is some truths that I'm not yet accepting. Now these truths, can, there are literally hundreds of thousands of truths that we can accept. In fact, I feel that the truth is actually infinite. So there are literally billions and billions of truths that we can accept. But there are specific truths that affect the flowing of love. And the primary specific, one primary specific truth is that God is an entity and God exists. That's a basic truth. Now, if I don't believe God is an entity, but rather I believe God is a force or a conglomeration or a conglomerate in numbers of entities or the universe itself, I will never be able to receive divine love in that state of belief. Now, when I say that state of belief, I'm not talking about the state of belief that exists within my head. I'm talking about the state of belief that exists within my soul. And they are two different, completely different states. 
So in my soul, I might actually feel that God does exist, while in my head I might intellectualize that God doesn't. And under that state, I can actually receive divine love. Do you understand? Because it's my soul, which is the real me, which is the connection with God. So in my head, I might be thinking, no, God doesn't exist, no, God doesn't exist. In my heart, I might be feeling, oh, I feel God does exist, but trying to suppress that emotion. But it's that emotion that's connecting with God. So therefore, it's that emotion that drives whether we receive love or not, not what's going on in my head. Now, the same applies with all other truths. Quite often, our head has one set of beliefs, and our emotional state has a completely different set of beliefs. And this is why many people in all religious paths receive divine love, and many people who are not on religious paths receive divine love. Because in their head, they're believing one thing, but in their heart, they're believing something that's quite different. Now what we want to do is start activating the heart in a conscious way rather than an unconscious way. Does that make sense? In other words, we want to start receiving divine love and know what we're doing. Because if you know what you're doing, you can receive it faster and, and with more accuracy and often understand the principles and processes involved. And that's the whole point of our discussions. So that we understand the principles that are involved in how I'm receiving divine love. So I may be going along, for example, to a Christian Pentecostal type church, and then I have these raising wonderful experiences now and then, and I feel like I'm connected to God at that moment, right? And, and But I don't know why that happened. Or I might be a Muslim who goes along to a mosque and prays five times a day, and then sometimes while I'm praying, for some reason, I feel differently after I come out than the other times that I've prayed. So I want to know what's going on. What's the difference between those states? And the difference is, one time the soul is being activated and there are truths that are being absorbed at the soul level, which allows the connection with the Holy Spirit, which allows divine love to flow. <coughs> so what we now need to start to do is do this in a conscious way, actually start receiving divine love and understand what we're doing and understand why it's blocked and why we're not receiving it. So, to do that, we need to understand the importance of truth. Now, I'm not talking about personal truth, although personal truth is a very important factor of it. What I'm talking about is there is a difference between divine truth, which belongs to God, but which can enter you emotionally, and your personal truth, which I'll put in quotations. Because often your personal truth is actually completely erroneous. So you could say that your personal truth is, at the moment, your personal truth is your complete set of emotions that exist within yourself. So, for example, last week you might have been angry with an ex-partner and felt like you'd like to hit her even, or hurt her even, because you're so angry. Well, that's a part of your personal truth. Last week you were driving along in a car and somebody cut you off and you swore at it. Well, that's a part of your personal truth. Does that make sense? But then there's also what you would classify as good things that are a part of your personal truth. Last week, the same week, you might have been having this lovely feeling towards somebody and this feeling of love and you felt this real close feeling with somebody, you know? It might have been your child, or it might have been your partner, or it might have been your father or mother or whatever. That's also your personal truth. Now, some of those personal truths happen to be harmonious with God's, and some of them happen to be in direct disharmony, direct disharmony with God. 
So, personal truth is really an essential part of this process. But if personal truth exists within your soul, God's truth, God's divine truth, exists within her soul. You follow me? That God's divine truth can enter your soul. But the way divine truth enters your soul is not through the connection with the Holy Spirit. Right? Because the connection with the Holy Spirit is the connection of love entering your soul, not truth. The way truth enters your soul, and this is something I said in the first century too, is that you have to seek it. That's the way truth enters your soul. In other words, the only way that God's truth can enter into your soul is for this other aspect of your soul to be completely developed. And this other aspect of your soul is this desire in your soul for truth no matter what. For God's truth no matter what. Once you enter that state where you're desiring God's truth with all of your heart, now divine truth can actually enter your soul. And it's the, one of the most important preparations that your soul makes for divine love entering it. Because without divine truth, you haven't got this connection. Sorry, I'm just fiddling with this mic because it's ringing a bit. Without divine truth, you haven't got this connection. So, if you could think of this whole exercise today, if you like, and it's going to be, in fact, an exercise that you use the rest of your entire existence. Is an exercise of actually learning to bring your personal truth into harmony with God's truth. And one of the best things you could ever pray for, and remember prayer is a longing, a passionate longing directed towards God. So in other words, it's an emotionally passionate longing directed from you towards God for something, and in this case, for divine truth to enter your soul. That's when you have a seeking attitude. That's when you're seeking. So from God's perspective, when you're seeking is when you're having all of your heart focused on actually wanting God's truth to enter you. God's truth about you as well as about the universe to enter you. Now, the aspects that we usually find easy and interesting are God's truth about the universe. You can see why, can't you? Because you've got no emotional attachment, necessarily, to many of those truths. Some of them you have emotional attachment to. So, so you might have a belief, for instance, in the, the old form that, of reincarnation, for example. So that's an emotional error within. So when you hear that particular truth, you're going to have some resistance to that. But most of the time, our hearing universal truth, hearing truth outside of ourselves, is a really fascinating and joyful experience. We feel really attracted to it. Right? But when it comes to somebody telling me some personal things about myself that I've never wanted to see all my life, now, how do I feel? That's a totally different kettle of fish, isn't it? That's a totally different situation. In most cases, we resist that truth with as much um, vigour as we possibly can manage. And usually that means getting angry and upset and all sorts of things with the person who brought us that truth. Now, if we're seeking God's truth, we won't have that, 
that way won't be in us. In other words, if you get to a point, and you'll get to this point when you make the transition between the second and the third sphere, where you will feel this passionate desire and longing within you all the time to find out what the truth is about yourself, no matter how bad it's going to look. And no matter how bad you're going to look in front of everyone else. And that's the transition between the second and the third sphere. That all people who make the transition on the divine love path have to go through. So if you want to be on the divine love path, you have to go through this transition. And people then say, well, what about free will? I thought I could do anything with my free will. <laughs> well, you can do anything with your free will, but God has made one path for God. And the path goes through this doorway of truth. So you can think, you can think of the start of the path to God, if you like. There's a doorway about natural love that you've got to step through. And the next doorway after that is a doorway about truth that you've got to step through. And then your path is going to lead you along some other roads, of course, that end up to eventually the state of wonder. If we can just use a mic so that we can capture some of this. And um, I'd just like to mention like, one of the things that changed my mind about it was when you're talking about free will, um, I thought, well, if I'm holding on to this truth, then I'm actually holding that person's free will in my own hands. Exactly. And I feel like that's worse than, yeah, only just expressing my own free will, but I'm causing someone to make decisions on falseness. That's it. So when you start actually, and we'll go through some of the qualities of divine truth as we go through this chat, and one of them is that. One of them is that you'll get to a point where you realise that when you're withholding truth from others, you're actually now placing their lives in your hands to an extent. Now, by the time you get to the third sphere, you're not going to want to do that ever again. And even though at the beginning I didn't really feel obligated because it's something that happened before I met this person, but yeah, then I started to begin, okay, well, if they actually knew this information, then perhaps they wouldn't actually want to know me. And perhaps they might make different decisions. Yeah, and yes. that's exactly why I felt like I only felt because they probably wouldn't want to be with me if Exactly. And when you think about it too from a personal emotional perspective, anything that you're holding onto emotionally that you're not being open about with another person, that is also harming you because it means that you're trying to actually control that particular part of you in the interaction with them. And any attempt to control any part of you in interaction with another person means you're not being yourself with that person. So, for example, if um, the, the only way that true closeness is created between a couple is for each one of those couple to know exactly what they feel about each other, exactly what they feel, in every situation. Now, if you can imagine that state being a third sphere state, and then ask yourself about your own relationship, does your partner know absolutely everything about you, how you feel about attractively, attractiveness, sexually, what, you, what you've done sexually, and all of those, do they know all of those things about you? Not because they demand it of you, but because you want to give that to them. Does that make sense? So, now, you, when you get to the third sphere of condition, you will want to do that. I'd call that a life inventory of your life, given to your partner. Uh, you want to do that, for sure. If you don't want to do that, then there's an emotion of fear within you. Agree? And fear is not harmonious with love or truth. And so therefore there's an emotion that's being driven. Now, if I'm in that state where I'm withholding something, 
So let's say, let's say during the sex act, I have a thought of some other previous partner. If I withhold that from my current partner, right? You can see it's starting to get a bit tricky, right? If I withhold that, if I withhold that from my current partner, then I am not. I'm blocking off a part of myself. Now, one thing you will learn in this process is that everything you block off from yourself or block off from another, you're actually inhibiting the flow of emotion through yourself. And what you'll come to see in the end is that every time you do that, every single time you do that, you're disconnecting yourself from God as well. And you'll get to a point in your own progression when you understand truth fully that you don't need to do that any, anymore. You don't need to withhold anything from anyone anymore. And you can just be yourself completely at every single moment. And how freeing is that? That is really freeing. Also, we often hold on to these things and yet they are not as big as what we believe them to be. So for instance, in the example I just gave where you're making love to your partner, you have a thought of a previous partner, often we'll have such big feelings of shame, oh, what was that about? Oh, you know, and we'll go through this terrible internal turmoil which will influence our sexual relationship with our current partner. And yet, the only, th time, the only reason why that thought might have come to us was because that particular partner had a certain emotional injury that was complementary to an emotional injury within me that if I, if I allowed myself to speak of it, I would find it there and then and release it. And then never think of that person again. Do you know what I mean? So quite often that's what could happen. But we often don't think that. We think, if I tell my partner, she's going to be really upset. She's going to be really angry. What might happen to my relationship? And we go down this other this other road, right? Which is the road of maintaining deceit with each other, which is the road of maintaining falsehood. In other words, I'm holding on to my personal truth, but actually, the problem is that it's also keeping me stagnant. Wait for the microphone. You need to hold it right up close to you. No, you already are creating emotional injury in that partner. This is what we don't understand. Whenever you withhold truth from someone at the soul level, their soul knows that you're withholding. There's a feeling, and many of you know this already, right, in your own interactions. You know when your partner's holding back something from you, do you not? Doesn't that cause damage? Right? What causes connection is you being totally open and truthful. That's what causes connection. This is, a, this is one of the basic misunderstandings on this planet. The basic misunderstanding is I can hurt someone with truth. That is not ever true. You can never hurt someone with truth. The way you hurt someone is by withholding truth or lying. That's how you hurt people. And it's the error leaving the person that hurts them, not the truth entering them. And most of us believe it's the truth entering them that hurts them. But the truth is that it's the error leaving that hurts you. If this error was never within you, then it would never have hurt you to hear the truth. And that's something we don't understand either. We'll talk about that in a minute. Tim? Uh, wait for one. I just wanted to say also that um, in making the decision to hold back the truth is the whole reason why we're here at the moment anyway. Because from when we were young, we 
we do have these pure feelings of love and awareness of certain things, but it's all the information that got held from us through other people's fears and errors that for us to believe those falsities as well and carry out that same system. So, exactly. So many of us have become addicted to falsehood. We've become addicted to it because it prevents certain emotions from being experienced that we don't want to experience. So what we do is we become so addicted to, to maintaining a lie with everyone just so that everyone doesn't have to feel emotions. But what God wants is us to live in complete truth from God's perspective. So that's going to mean that we're going to need to, at some point in the future, understand all the truth about myself. All the truth. They are, everyone around me will know that I'm being completely and 100% truthful at all times at some point in their future as well. Don't understand that, Josh? How do you know when you said before that um, the situations where you don't feel another soul wants to hear the truth, how do you know when not to say the but you're saying the first fear condition is going to say the truth all the time. That means that every person, every interaction that I'm coming in contact with, I'm just going to say the truth about what I feel about them and myself. But isn't that um, unloving if they don't want to know the truth and live in their denial? And they need to be given a choice, a, a chance to make that choice. So you just say, can I tell you the truth? Yeah, like I'm going to be truthful with everyone in all the situations. Do you want to know the truth that I know about you? A lot of people say, no, I don't. And that's okay too, isn't it? That's their free will. They've got that. They're allowed to make that choice. They're not going to be closer to God making that choice. But they're allowed to make that choice. But it, it seems it's a bit blurry there because there's situations where you're going to feel strongly that you want to say the truth and the other person will just not want to hear the truth and, and you feel like you're keeping it in. Yeah, well, I, I don't feel inside of myself that there's any blurry situations when it comes to truth. The feeling I have is that under all circumstances, in every situation, I'm going to say the truth because I just have this really, really strong desire in me to do that. And every time I don't do that, I compromise myself. And I don't want to compromise myself anymore. So, so in the end, you've got to remember that love is not just loving of the other person, it's also loving of yourself. And you and the other person, in your eyes, will become equal. So in other words, if somebody doesn't want to say, uh, hear the truth, but you want to say it, you're allowed to say it. Just as much as they're allowed to not hear it. I'm just really afraid that that will get you into bad situations with society. Uh, certainly. And, and like, that, will that happen? Well, it got me in some pretty bad situations. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's the worst thing that happened to you? Well, I died. <laughs> you died. Yeah, I was, you know, hung on a stake. Like this time around, do you, have you said, like, I don't know, the truth um, about... I lost all my family for seven years. None of my family, none of them ever spoke to me for seven years. So that was one thing that happened. I lost every single friend I ever had. Um, so all the friends that I had up to 33, not a single one of them is in my life now. Not, not a single one is in my life now. What about issues with the law and how they, you know, they can lock you down? Yeah, I've had to pay lots more money in tax because of telling the truth, for example. And I had one property sell one day uh, one day too late for me to actually include it in a different taxation scheme and I had to pay $60,000 just by actually, by me not, the accountant wanted me to falsify the, 
the day of sale to one day earlier, and I refused to do that because I wouldn't have been truthful. And it cost me 60 grand to do that. So if we left today and just said the truth constantly every moment, we would end up crying four hours a day? Is, that what, is it just going to happen? Well, what will happen is that this is the beauty of truth, is the truth opens your soul. So emotions that all of your, like, what do you think I felt when I had to pay 60 grand just because I didn't have the right date on a settlement contract? What do you think I felt? I had no money at the time. So what do you think I felt? Right? So I felt quite triggered, right? And there was lots of emotions I had to do with how unfair is this, you know, like about taxation and all sorts of issues just because I had to stay in truth. And you'll find if you stay in truth, 100% of the time there will just be so many emotions that come up as a result. And it will be beautiful for you because every one of those emotions is what's preventing you from staying in truth. Yeah. Just, uh, I haven't studied the Bible, but did you talk about uh, you can't serve two masters? Yes, I did. So for me, say for example, using the taxation thing, I don't believe that tax money is necessarily used towards purposes of divine love and truth. Yep. Therefore, if I'm contributing to that, am I... I, I that's sort of, there's a question within... You can decide to not pay tax if you want. The thing is, if you're lying about it, now you're breaking the law of God. So you're allowed to you're allowed to say to the government, oh, I'm not paying tax. Like God has no problems with that. God does have a lot of problems with you lying about because you break your relationship with God then. Would he my question is, would he want you to pay sixty thousand dollars to a system that ultimately doesn't serve? Doesn't care. Well that's I guess part What does God care about? You being truthful. God cares about your soul. So God doesn't worry about $60,000 either way, right? God worries about your soul. That's what God's concerned about. You see, this is where we often want to compromise truth. You see, what, what we have is we, we have these financial investments in actually not telling the truth. God, from God's perspective, God has no trouble with you not paying tax. But God has a lot of trouble with you lying about it. From God's perspective. When I say God has a lot of trouble with it, he doesn't feel any emotion in the sense of, oh, you naughty girl, you know, whatever. He's just saying to you, you can't connect with me when you do that. You're never going to be at one with me doing that. That's all he's saying to you. Does that make sense? I have to... We'll, we'll talk about all these issues in detail during the day. Because the, the key is to feel into every issue that you're raising and question you're raising is to feel into it emotionally. Because when you feel into it emotionally, what will happen is you'll start understanding that actually I have an emotional reason why this particular issue is an issue for me. And how many of you know, for example, that the taxation department, if you stop paying tax, is going to really go for you? Like most of us are very afraid of authority, are we not? This is why we often pay our tax when we don't want to. How many of you want to pay your tax? No one. Interesting. I don't want to either. How many of you uh, feel like you have to pay your tax? Yeah. Or how many of you feel like you're just going to falsify as much as you can so you don't have to pay it? The majority of people, many people, are in that state. Right? 
Now, there is an emotional reason why we're in that state. And that emotional reason is the core reason we need to address in our relationship with God. So, yes, the question that Josh asked was, did, have you had to pay prices for telling the truth? Yes. This system of things we live in, the way that it's constructed is, there are lots and lots of prices you're going, so-called prices you're going to have to pay the truth. In my opinion, the biggest price you can have for telling a lie, for staying in a state of falsehood, is your relationship with God. That's the biggest price you can ever pay for anything. And I don't want to sacrifice that for anything. Even if it means I go to jail because I said or done something from a world's perspective as being wrong. I just don't want to ever do that with God. Um, getting back to your earlier conversation, um, in relation to being in bed with someone, um, the, <laughs> um, not that I found that more interesting, but I couldn't get the question. Uh, yeah. Um, the, um, I don't know if other people have noticed this, but you talk about the spirituality of, say, sex or intercourse or whatever you call it. I don't know if other people have had the same experience, but usually during the act we talk that. Um, when it culminates, if that happens at the same time, and I'm sensitive about my language, um, there, there, there's a clairvoyance there that you, at that time you know exactly what the person's thinking and feeling. I don't know if the other people have the same thing. It's really hard to lie exactly. at that moment. Exactly. Because you just see through the other person. Exactly. And that's very true. That's one of the things that God made us to do is to when we're feeling a positive emotion, in this case sexual climax or a sexual orgasm, we're also feeling all the other emotions generally flow through us and we're quite naked, not in a physical sense, yeah, but in an emotional sense. And physically. And, and physically, obviously, in many cases. But more importantly, emotionally, we're quite naked to the other person anyway. Just behind the... Um, you know how you said something about not lying and stuff? Yep. If a friend told you something about another friend and they didn't want to um and they didn't want you to tell them, and then the friend that they were talking about asked you a question yep. about that, what do you do? Like, because you know you said that you wouldn't tell, but then it's kind of lying if you say, Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so what if you, the, the first issue is, why are you saying to people that you won't tell the truth to others? Like, there's an emotion in that. And usually the emotion is that I want to retain this friend to be my friend. Right? So you want an intimacy with a certain friend, but in order to get that intimacy, they're telling you you've got to say nothing about your relationship with them, basically. Now, in the, how can you ever have intimacy with that requirement right at the beginning? You can't. So the first thing we would need to address is, why am I agreeing to maintain thing, something that's private to a person who's demanding that of me before they tell me the truth? Obviously, they don't understand love yet. If they understood love, they would understand that actually, every time I ask you to not tell the truth about something, I'm actually compromising your relationship with God, or I'm attempting to. Right? So, so that's number one. Why, what emotion within me causes me to even agree to having a, a relationship on that basis? But if it's like for a surprise or something, and you don't like want them to know, but you don't want to lie? Well, if it's a surprise or something, we're talking about soul-based things here, 
not things where everyone's planning a birthday party or something like that, right? Obviously, all of those kind of issues are very, very separate because the person will find out eventually what you're doing, right? But I'm talking about where there's something that affects their life or something about the person that would be very, very good for them to know. I'm not talking about these little, like, parties or, you know, planning parties around, you know, surprises or, you know, like, often I will get Mary a surprise, but I won't tell her what it is until I give it to her. Does that make sense? That, that's not withholding truth about a soul-based issue. Right? What, soul, what I'm talking about here is withholding truth about a soul-based issue. So let's say your friend told you something she doesn't like about your other friend. So now we're talking about a soul-based issue. Right? Now under those circumstances, why would I agree to enter a code of silence with this first friend? There must be an emotion within me that causes me to do that. So I need to address that if I want to be closer to God. Secondly, the person themselves asking me to maintain a code of silence has an issue. They don't want to tell the person directly. In other words, they're not being loving to your other friend. So they're not practicing love. If they were practicing love and they were upset with your other friend, they would go straight to your other friend and say, look, I'm actually upset with you because of whatever it is. Does that make sense? So if they um, find out about it eventually, then it's okay? <laughs> and my feelings are if firstly look at the emotional reason why you have allowed yourself to be controlled by this other person by acceding to their wish that you don't tell the truth because that's really what's happening you're being controlled secondly look at the emotion in, the, in your friend obviously your friend is not being loving what do you want to continue having relationships in your life where people are not loving that's something you need to work your way through. But when you're in a state of abundance with God, you will want to have all of your relationships loving. Right? The third thing is that your friend who has been kept out of the loop is not really your friend yet until you can love her and tell her the truth. Right? So there's a lot of issues of love and truth in that. just that one little example you brought up. Just that one little example. Now, I know what happens inside of us is we go, oh, but if I tell that person, this person's going to get angry with me. Well, my suggestion is go ahead, do that, let the person get angry, talk to them about the principles of love. If they never want to see you again, okay. Then you found out, you just found out how important your love was. And see, many of us are not willing to find out how much people really love us. No. And we are not willing actually to tell other people how much we really love them either, generally. By our actions, by the way in which we act towards them. Can we have a mic down? And so how do you um, deal with situations where um, people don't tell you the truth and you know that because you can feel the alignment up? I get very angry. Right. And when people don't tell you the truth and you're getting angry, you're denying an emotion of hurt inside of your own soul. So the, the first thing is to is to go through that anger. So you know you use that anger. So you might go out and punch some bag or bear with the hose or whatever, and really you know yell and curse or whatever about the actual issue. But allow that to actually open up this pathway into your grief about it and grieve the situation. Usually when people don't tell us the truth, there's, there's a lot of things occurring. Obviously it's their law of attraction, but it's also ours. 
So there's an emotion in our soul being triggered that we need to allow ourselves to access. So if I understand that intellectually and allow myself to settle into that emotion, you'll work through a lot of reasons why people don't tell you the truth. So nowadays, I have most people come up to me and tell me all of the truth about their life, even the most sordid details. And the reason why is I don't have any judgment about their most sordid details and I don't have any feelings of condemnation towards them and all these emotions within me have been released, which means that they feel they can tell me the truth. So we need to work through those emotions. So if there's an emotion of anger capping it, then the emotion of anger is actually preventing a deeper emotion of sadness within yourself about being lied to. Allow yourself to access that emotion. Now, it's a very core emotion because when you're lied to, you're actually being told that, that they don't love you. So you see, this is a basic thing about lying that most of us get when we're lied to, but we don't get when we're the one doing the lying. You understand? Is, is that when we're being lied to, the reason why we often feel hurt when we find out the truth is because we start to realise, in fact, that there was no love in the lie. And so, in that instant, we're actually feeling a feeling of being unloved. And it's a core emotion within people on, on this planet, a feeling of being unloved. And the way to tell whether you're actually loved is, is the person telling you the truth. Now, if they're, telling, if they're not telling you the truth and you feel that they're not, feel the emotion inside of yourself of being unloved. Allow yourself to work through that emotion. When you work through that emotion, you will find that you will probably have a break in this relationship with that person, unless the person goes through a process of actually working out why they lie. When they do that, they get into a state of repentance, and you will probably also easily get into a state of forgiveness. But I'm saying, even if they're not like that, you still need to forgive. But go into the emotion inside of yourself that's triggered. The emotion inside of yourself will always be related to it being a lack of love. Because in the, in the case of truth not being told to me, the person is very, very definitely saying to me that they don't love me. <coughs> and this is something that we are very sensitive with at the soul level. This is why children in particular, when they're lied to and, and afterwards they got tell the truth, they get pretty upset, right? Because they are very, very sensitive. But what happens is as we grow up, we become more desensitised to actually lies and withholding the truth and so forth. And, and so we, we learn to live in this environment where lies become commonplace. But many of us still have that soul thing going on and we're quite fair at the soul level whenever we're lied to. So let yourself feel that unloving. It is an unloved feeling inside of yourself. Is it okay to say to the person, I know that you're lying to me, why are you lying? Yeah, say that you feel that you're lying to them. Uh, you know, that why are they lying? Are they trying to protect you? Are they trying to... Or are they trying to protect themselves? Usually they're trying to protect themselves from their own emotion. Uh, so most lies that are told or most withholding of truth is all done in order for a person to protect themselves from feeling an emotion. So talk about that, but if the person doesn't want to tell you the truth still, feel, at the end of the day you're better off still feeling the emotion first. And feel the emotion of being unloved first, because that's the emotion that's being triggered in you. When you feel that emotion and that emotion leaves, you'll find the person might automatically come up and say, oh, last week, you know, I told you a lie actually and I feel really bad about it now and I feel like I need to tell you the truth. And that might happen automatically once you dealt with the emotion. So many of you will find if you deal with the core emotion, events conspire in such a way that the truth comes out anyway quite rapidly after that. 
So layers have to do with the core emotion. Now what I would like to do for the moment uh, is I want to in interview my lovely lady. So Mary can join me up here. The reason why I want to interview with her is I want... Uh, Mary's gone through a lot of stuff about truth quite recently. And... Uh, and Mary's gone through quite a lot of stuff about truth recently. And what I wanted to do is, uh, is for Mary to share with you the whole process she's been through over the last year and a half about truth. Because there's been many aspects and that to it that she's found, and I feel that many of you will connect quite strongly to some of these, some of the stages, if you like, of opening up to divine truth. That's it on? Yep, I almost turned it up. Which one are you? Just talking, talking hello. Hello, hello. Hello. I just wanted to say how, isn't Oprah really awesome? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he loves you so much because he is so sick today. Alright, so um, before you met me, so we met, we met uh, December, not last year, but the year early. Mm -hmm. uh, December the 20th. Ninth or eighth or something like that, I guess. Yeah. Not. And, uh, <laughs> the ladies always have the dates. <laughs> and, uh, and when you, before you met me, how did you view yourself with regard to truth? Like, did you feel you were a truthful person? Did you feel you were open and honest with people around yeah. you? What did you feel? I felt that I was, I had a high regard for truth. And that I told the truth most of the time. But if, oh, I would have said all of the time. I would have said I don't lie. Um, and I would have said that I appreciate others telling me the truth. And in fact, my mother will tell you. Well, she probably won't tell you. But she would say to me that you used to get so upset, Mary, if I said that the dog ran away, but actually he died. And, it was, and you found out later it was always a huge deal for me. So I thought I was very truthful and loved truth. Good. So... So when we, um, shortly after we met, we started spending time together in the first three or four months. How did you find truth then? Like, um, what, what were you, what the feelings that you went through? Uh, very, well, firstly, when, when we were talking about God's truth in um, not personal terms, I absolutely loved it. I was fascinated, I was excited, I couldn't stop talking about it, and we used to spend hours talking about that. Uh, and but when it came to pointing out truth about me, it was very confronting. Um, what, yeah. used to, what used to happen then if you had truth about yourself pointed out? I would get angry usually. <laughs> um, I, I went alright for a little while. Um, it stressed me out, and I'd withdraw. And then, um, yeah, in not too long, I, I got very angry at you for pointing things out, or. Um, for you being truthful about the emotions you were having regarding my behaviour or my actions. Yep. I would try and control you in that way. Yeah. So so when you went through that, what were you feeling? Like what were the feelings inside of you? Um, like were you feeling that this was a truth issue or were you feeling that I was just no. a bastard or what no. <laughs> no, I couldn't think you're a bastard, which is really hard. Many times you would like to do that. Uh, I didn't recognise that it was an issue of truth. Right. I felt that it was all just very overwhelming emotionally, 
uh, and that things were far too confronting and moving too quickly. Um, but I didn't relate it to actually me resisting truth about my own emotions. So you sort of felt that it was my fault that you were being confronted with truth, or you felt that yes. it was being too intense. Or... Yeah, emotionally, that's definitely what I felt. In my head, I was telling myself lots of other stories, but really, I was blaming you for what, bringing me what truth. What were the stories you were telling yourself? In well, I was denying a lot of my anger. I was saying I wasn't angry. And I was saying, no, no, this is a good thing, and he's a really great man, and okay, I need to take this all on board. But my emotions and my behaviour were actually um, saying, back off, I don't want to know, I'm really angry at you for telling me the truth. Yeah. So, or, or I would go into, I hate myself because I'm such a bad person. Yeah. So then we got to a stage where it was starting to get really intense emotionally for you. And what were you feeling towards me then in terms of truth, like? In terms of you telling the truth? And, and in terms of even our relationship then, you were starting to feel... I started to feel very shut down towards you. Yeah. And um, I told myself I didn't have any feelings for you, I couldn't possibly, and actually um, that I wanted to get away from you. Yeah. yeah. So then, then we spent three months apart. And during that time, what were you feeling like about truth? Like, you still had this attraction, didn't you? To definitely, sort of definitely. I knew that I had found the truth uh, of God, but I wasn't willing to look at the truth of who I really was, um, or emotionally, not just about my identity, because that was also huge, but even just my own emotions and the own emotions that I was carrying around and the emotions that were in my life, I was... Uh, Resistive to feeling that they were the truth, and so what happened in your law of attraction then? So the question was, what happened with Mary's law of attraction during this time when she was really wanting to stay away from from me, but still feeling drawn towards truth, like so. Was... Life got pretty difficult um, because my, I guess, my soul was sending out a few different messages. My law of attraction got pretty intense, and. Um, but because I wanted to shut down what my truth was, how I was feeling emotionally, I got really to quite a desperate sort of a feeling inside of me. I sort of felt a bit suicidal for the first time in my life because there was such a stark contrast between where I felt I wanted to go and where I was letting myself go emotionally in terms of what was truly happening inside of me. And were your emotions flowing during that time? Was no, no, not at all. I, I went through this period of... Um, not being able to cry at all. I couldn't process a thing. Um, and my law of attraction got really intense. Every single patient I saw and family member that I saw for about a week and a half cried and cried. I'd just come in and touch them or say something to them and they'd be crying and I'd be going, I get it, I can't cry. <laughs> yep, okay. So, so then um, there were sort of some changes that occurred between you and God. And what, what were those changes that sort of caused you to open up a little emotionally? It's all very blurred. Well, I guess I've reached a point where um, the contrast was so great. I felt like I can't keep going on like this. So didn't you, for a period of time, decide to live in the truth of the fact that you were not going to do the truth? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, I went through that phase where I, no, nothing that AJ says is true. I'm just going to live the life, sort of the truth I had before. The truth that my family believed, who I, the role I always had 
with my friends, my family, and that's right. And that I, it was all, I needed to just move on with my life and get on with it. Right. That's when the pain really kicked in. Okay. So, so, when you went into that place of full denial of truth, yeah. something had obviously before then happened in your soul with opened up the truth, and so now you're starting to feel quite a lot of pain. Yeah, and that's when I went through this awful period then of feeling, okay, I found the truth, but I can't live in it. Um, because it's too big and it's too intense and too hard. Too hard. Yeah. yeah, I'm not strong enough to be in the truth, but I know what the truth is, and that that's yeah. pretty bad. Yeah. Okay, so that period lasted for quite a few weeks, mm-hmm. yep. and then and then you sort of had a breakthrough with God. Um, I don't know if you remember that. I, I remember a lot. Of, <laughs> I remember a lot of it better than you. I feel like I've had a few breakthroughs with God, but probably I just felt really desperate. I, like, I can't go on like this. I just have to go into this emotion, which by that stage was very black and very dark. And I, is that what I called you? Yeah, yeah, that's one. Yeah. So, and then I was just sobbing for a long time and feeling that this is true and I can't cope with it, God. Yeah. So, so you went through this place of realizing that, and this was more like a feeling that you realized that you had to follow the truth, otherwise there'd be lots and lots of pain in your life. Um, did you really make a soul desire for truth at that point? Though? No, no. Okay. So what what happened then over the next six months? Like a lot of toing and froing <laughs> between truth, denial, resistance, truth. Uh, and still an intense fascination and longing for God's truth um, about the way the universe works, the way my soul works, but still a lot of resistance to actually feeling what my personal truth is about my life, my family, my relationships, who I am as a person. So you felt really, really attracted to all of the soul truths about the universe and about God's laws and all of those things. And emotional processing, the whole thing, yeah. yeah. But when it came to actually being confronted with an emotion inside of itself, it was like really hard then. So what would happen under those circumstances when that emotion inside yourself got confronted? Uh, I would still tend to get fairly angry or or I would get self-punishing as an avoidance sort of of going into the deep, deeper emotion. Yep. So I'd beat myself up or I'd beat you up. Yep. Yeah. One emotionally. Of the, one of the two. Yep. In order to stop yourself from getting to the truth. Now and a few months ago, you sort of got exhausted with that process as well. So can you describe some of the emotions you were feeling to, to everyone about how that eventually exhausted you as well, how you got into that state of exhaustion of resisting all the time? Yeah. Well, I wasn't really progressing. I wasn't clearing things. My law of attraction was such that there was a lot of conflict um, happening, I suppose, because that's what was happening inside of me, uh, with yourself, with my family, with uh, my friends. There was a lot of, uh, I think think I think I dealt with something and it would reoccur. Um, I was, and I was tired of trying to keep an even keel in my life because that's what I was doing in all of my relationships and within myself. I'll deal with this, but then I'll, I'll try and make everything else okay. So, so there was quite a few blockage emotions then that you were working through in terms of still wanting the truth in your heart but not being able to live it in your life. Yeah. Because uh, one of my big emotions has been about self-protection and uh, making everyone else happy around me. So if I felt like everyone 
uh, was happy around me, I felt very safe, and so a lot of my behaviour for a long time had been related to being a nice girl, a good girl, uh, someone who looked after everyone else. Yep. So I would say I want truth, I want to live in it, and then a big emotion about that would get confronted and I would struggle. Now, you said at the beginning that you felt yourself to be a really sort of moral, truthful person. By this stage, what were you starting to feel about yourself? Pretty bad about myself uh, and feeling it had been a bit of... Um, well, actually, I just felt more confused about myself. I still had the, the story running in my head that I'm a nice, good girl and taking on a lot of the conflict with my family. Oh, it's my fault because I haven't been a nice, good girl. So then I was starting to feel kind of, oh, maybe I'm actually an awful person and getting into these very self-punishing emotions. And during this phase of trying to face up with the truth, what was happening with the family, like what, what was going on there? A lot of conflict, and uh, because I had this emotion that this is all my fault, that's what I was um, attracting from them as well. So they were basically saying it's your fault that you were saying all these things, all these things are not true, it's your you fault. You ruined our family. Now, now, what caused you to change from actually? So, so at this point, you would still say that you were still really, in a way, resisting truth. Like in your heart, truth wasn't a joyful thing. It was like a, it was a painful thing all the time. So, what caused this transition between truth being a painful thing and truth being a joyful thing? Uh, I just, I realised um, that I was tired out, and and I recognised on some level that truth was really important. And so I made this decision that, and it was an intellectual decision, I'm going to tell the truth about everything all of the time, no matter what happens. Uh, and that was really confronting in our relationship because I was still going through a lot of turmoil and I really wanted you to feel secure in the relationship. Um, but I decided, no, that's it, I'm just going to um, tell the truth all the time. And so I launched into that and um, I prayed a lot about knowing what God's truth was about me, which was a big thing, because then I found out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what happened in that process of finding out what, what went on there for you inside of yourself? Right. Um, I found that I... Once I started to be really honest, I recognised that my emotions were flowing a lot easier and I was starting to get deeper into the emotions. So during this phase, your emotions started coming up really rapidly yes. and easily. Yep. You're accessing them. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then um, we did an exercise of a big review um, of my life um, in terms of men. Because all the time we're dealing with our emotions, our relationship issues. So um, I sat down one day and I had a page for every man, for every relationship I'd had in my life. And I started to write down not the story of what I told myself in my head about what those relationships were about, but really the nuts and bolts of what happened. How I met this man, what happened when I met this man, how he treated me, how I treated him, and what happened. And looking at it all in black and white, and then I started to ask myself to be really honest about the emotions, like, was love driving me in this relationship? Doesn't really look like it, and so I started to open up to a lot of deeper emotions. Do you, do you mind sort of describing some of the patterns that you discovered that you didn't really think were there before then? Yep, okay, so I had um, told myself that I'd always 
been in relationships that where I was in love and that I've been quite moral in those relationships. And what I found was that I'd met a lot of... I hadn't had a, a lot of long-term relationships, but I'd had different liaisons with men throughout my life. Um, a lot of them involved alcohol when I met them. A lot of them involved sleeping with them quite early in the relationship. A lot of them involved them not giving their heart to me and me keeping them very much at distance, feeling like I could be the more developed one in the relationship, things like that. Now, so that was quite a shock to me in terms of what I had told myself was my personal truth. Yeah. So when you started stemming into that, you felt a lot of emotions flow just as you were talking about it. Massive emotions. The shame and um, like a lot of law of compensation issues about not loving myself, yeah. not loving them. And you started to see a separation between sex and love as well? Definitely, yeah. And, and, and then when you started getting to the bottom of that, you also had a huge sensation of relief. And I was just wondering whether you could describe that. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, like my soul was doing a little jig. Like you finally um, facing truth inside of you and um, I could just feel how all of these emotions were leaving me. I could feel the patterns that I'd had in my relationships leaving me. That I didn't, that finally my soul was saying, finally um, the mental thing about love and sex that I'd always had running, it was finally coming together in my soul. Yeah. And I had this really emotional experience of really emotionally realising that when my soul is in truth, it's ready to receive divine love. Before then, I'm just blocking it at every turn. But when I can see myself in terms of how God sees me, or at least be in my truth of my emotions, I'm so much more receptive. So before then, you were sort of viewing all of these problems as really, really large problems, where you're like, like, how is I ever going to resolve any of these issues because they're really, really large? What were you feeling now after you... Uh, had these experiences, what were you feeling, how big the problems were then? Well, they were leaving me really quickly. I was feeling connected to you in a way that I've never felt connected, uh, whereas before I'd been so afraid to really go down into the deep, dark uh, depths of all of this man stuff because I felt, well, what if I'm a really bad person and then we can't be together or, or any of that. The converse happened in that I just felt a deep connection with you and I felt that finally things were writing themselves in my soul, that they were leaving me quickly. Yeah. So before then you were feeling really stark for a fair long time, period of time, and now within a few days, things are leaving quite rapidly and working through things quite rapidly, feeling really different. And so all the, a lot of emotions were leaving you really rapidly now. So um, how did you find in terms of your relationship with yourself? Like, did you still have this deep shame and guilt feelings that you were carrying around before then? No, there's still some there, yeah, uh, but it was much lighter load, yeah. Uh, I felt really high on truth, like it was, like it, uh, because I finally found truth inside of me and I wasn't trying to hide anything, I wasn't trying to make anyone happy anymore. It was quite liberating. And did it feel hard anymore? No, and I felt like I want truth. I want everyone to tell me the truth. And before, because I'd had all of my pleasing emotions, I didn't want to say the truth to others because maybe that would upset them. And also, I didn't want to hear it from them because that would definitely upset me. And now I felt a lot freer in my interactions with other people just to say exactly how I felt and to hear exactly how they felt. Yeah. So, so now when you think about truth, 
like before when you were thinking about truth, the feeling I would have from you is like almost panic. Like this is feeling of terrible. What am I going to find in there? What am I going to find? How bad, dark, whatever it's going to be. Now, when you think about truth, what do you feel about now? Really excited. Yeah. So, so I suppose what we've been trying to do is just illustrate this transition that occurs if you're willing to face all of these things truthfully. You can see that at the beginning, Mary was finding it really difficult. And by the way, I've been through a very, very similar experience to Mary in my own life. Initially, really, lots of resistance to truth, lots of emotional pain as a result of the resistance to truth, and so forth. Working through these emotions, and actually allowing yourself to see the things that you're totally ashamed of, and totally, you know, all these different things. And ironically, when you do that, there's this huge relief. And also, because the truth is opened up a pathway within you now, the emotions are now going to be flowing very, very rapidly and very consistently. And there's a feeling you have now when you're feeling emotions compared to what you were feeling before. What, what are those kind of feelings you have now when you're feeling emotions? Well, it feels like a relief. It's like I had the emotional realisation that processing actually makes emotions leave your soul and it changes your soul. Um, I, f I feel like, bring it on, you know. I want to get, I want to be triggered. And I, whereas before I was sort of tiptoeing around it all. <laughs> we are rats in my cave. <laughs> and, uh, and so, um, you also, why you sometimes mention that while you're feeling emotion, that's when you feel the emotion real now. Definitely. So it's Definitely. like, you feel like you're a authentic self. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I also have really emotional feelings about truth. Like, I feel quite emotional talking about it. It feels like a really beautiful thing to tell the truth and to, to feel the truth, to feel the truth about God. And I actually feel so much more open to God and closer to God. Yeah. So, so instead of viewing truth as a painful experience like we were before, now you're viewing truth like it's a, just a pleasure to, to, to have it and, and to live in it. Now, the, the reason why I wanted Mary to describe that for you is that she's obviously recently gone through those experiences that are fairly alive in her mind and in her, in her feelings still. And I wanted to connect with you on a, on a number of levels and, and help you understand what kind of emotions you would go through once you make this transition of, of actually wanting to not feel truth in your life into this transition of just absolutely loving the truth in your life. Now, when, when you get to this state of absolutely loving truth in your life, that's when you are really praying or longing for divine truth from God. Until that point, you are not really longing for God's truth to enter you. In other words, you're not really praying for truth. What you're doing is to praying to avoid truth. Because remember, it's the emotional state of your soul that causes God's soul to respond. So when you're in this state of, of desiring to avoid truth in your life, what you're actually doing is praying to God, please keep truth away from me. That's really what you're doing. As soon as you allow yourself to actually feel this deep longing for truth, which is this transition into the third sphere that we're talking about, once you make this transition, you will have this great longing for truth in your life and you will have a feeling of joy and sometimes euphoria of 
actually learning a new truth about yourself. Not about the universe now, but about yourself. So you know that euphoric experience you have when you're learning the truth about the universe? Well, you will start having those kind of experiences learning the truth about yourself. And not only will you have that experience, but you actually feel the truth entering you. You'll feel the truth entering you, and you'll feel the error relieving you. You'll feel the relief of the error leaving you. Now, that's the process that we want to talk about, because you'll notice that at the beginning, Mary felt that she was quite truthful in her relationships with others and so forth. But then coming to realize that actually the truth wasn't happening at the emotional level was a real big sort of, you'd say, almost a negative experience in the sense that this terrible feeling of shame and guilt and so forth passes over you. Once you get through that feeling, you will no longer have this terrible feeling about truth in your life. So one of the core emotions that all of us at some point will need to face is this reason why we want to avoid truth. The reason why we have this attraction towards knowing everything externally and a very, very big distraction from knowing things about what's going on inside of myself. What we want to do is get to the point where we want everything. Now, law of attraction events will tell you whether you really want truth or not in your life. So, for example, you might uh, you might find yourself getting distracted a lot in your life. Who's finding that? Like you're finding yourself quite distracted, finding so feeling distracted with it. Well, that's because you don't have an internal desire yet for truth. Does that make sense? Like, so allow yourself to feel about that emotion. Allow yourself to feel the emotion of that. There's a reason behind it. So with any of these things, never condemn yourself. There's po- the judgment of yourself is just as pointless and fruitless, aside from that it does have fruitage, and unfortunately most of the fruitage of judgment is very negative. But it is pointless to judge yourself or another. So stop judging yourself and allow yourself to see the truth of yourself. And so, with everything that we talk about, if you're avoiding truth in your life, allow yourself to see that you are, acknowledge that you are, start talking to God that you are, why are you, what's the fears that you have inside of you. Now, when you have this seeking attitude towards truth, and initially it's going to be more intellectual than emotional, isn't it? Because initially, you love the truth, you can love the external truth, and you realise you've got to start hitting the eternal truth intellectually, but as you can see from Mary's experiences, emotionally it's hurting at that point. Every truth that hits you is like a condemnation of yourself. Does that make sense? So in that state, we're often, you know, here we know, yeah, I want to get the truth, I want to get the truth, I want to understand the truth about myself, but here in my emotions I'm like, ah, truth, my truth, brother, you know, and we're trying to prevent the truth from hitting us emotionally, right? Now, understand there's an emotion behind that as well. There's an emotional reason why I'm condemning this personal truth from ever touching me. Allow yourself to investigate why. Now, most of the time, for, for Mary, it was very, this deep issue was shame, wasn't it? Personal shame, which Mary had to experience. For, for different people, it's different things. But a lot of times it is to do with shame and embarrassment. You, you look at way, way back in your history as a, ch- as a child, How many times were you placed in a situation of shame when somebody found the truth out about you? 
Like, you wet your pants. And, you know, your siblings or your parents told people. How did that feel? Shame. So what did you do then? Like, didn't want anybody to know anything, did you then? Can you see straight away just that one event, and a single event like that is going to cause shame to be attracted to truth. So in, in my heart now, I'll have a feeling that truth is shameful. Straight away, just from that one experience. And can you see how in, in my childhood I might have had 20 or 30 or 50, if I've been abused sexually, I might have 100, 200 of those experiences of shame connected with truth. Many of us have family shames that were covered up. So how many of you experience that? Where you know, maybe an uh, alcoholic parent or, or whatever, yeah? And we're covering up this shame in the family. Nobody wants, you know, these are obviously connections then between shame and truth. Truth becomes a very shameful thing then. So shame will be one of the avenues of truth or one of the emotions that, that we'll need to work through before we'll be able to let yourself see truth. So allow yourself to work through the blockages for you seeing your own truth. Now, when you do that, divine truth about you can enter you. But if you refuse, if you block that stew, if you keep those blockages there, you're actually placing a barrier. There is actually, energetically, emotionally, there is this force field barrier around you. And to be frank with you, when I'm speaking with you, I can feel it so strongly when people come up to me and say, oh, could you tell me the truth about this? And I'm actually feeling quite the opposite emotion in many cases from you. What I'm feeling is you do not want to know the truth about that particular event at all. Because there's like this force field barrier around you of not wanting to be emotionally triggered about what that truth is going to open in you. So allow yourself to discover the blockages that you have to <coughs> Truth about your own life and about yourself entering you. Now, when you do that, what will happen is this force field barrier that's around you, surrounding you, will actually fall away. And you'll become completely open and vulnerable to truth. Now, initially, that's going to be a very scary prospect. Can you understand why? Like, that means that every single person in my life is going to find out about who I really am. How scary is that? Right? And I'll find out about how, who I really am. How scary is that? Right? So what will happen is that we'll go through this transition phase of getting out of this state where we're trying to block truth from us into this state where I'm now allowing truth to enter me no matter how bad it seems. Now that in itself is a transition that occurs in the second speaker. And then once I get to this stage where I've released all of the emotions of that, I'm now in the state where I'm longing for the truth to enter me. Now I'm in the state that can connect to God almost permanently or close to permanently because now I'm open to God's truth also entering me. And remember, you, you can think of God's truth as a doorway to God's love. So every time you allow God's truth to enter you, you're also now establishing a connection with the Holy Spirit and therefore divine love can enter you under those circumstances if you long for it. So prayer for divine truth is such an important thing. And again, remember I'm saying longing or seeking for divine truth is prayer for divine truth. Now that all being said, what I'd like to do is describe, in a talk many months ago, I had a talk about the qualities of divine truth. Do you, do you remember that talk where I listed about 15 different qualities of divine truth? Some of you may have seen that on DVD a lot. 
Now, what I'm going to go through next for the rest of the afternoon is looking at the qualities of divine truth and examining how that affects us emotionally in silence. So in other words, what we're doing is we're starting to look at all right, what's one of the qualities of divine truth and how does this quality affect my, me firstly intellectually but then how does this quality eventually going to affect me emotionally? How am I going to feel about it inside of me once I have these realisations and, re and, and, uh, and once I can see what's going on with the divine truth and the relationship between divine truth and my own truth? So that's why I've listed... Under the section Reminders of Divine Truth, I've listed many of those qualities of Divine Truth um, one by one. So you've got that in your outline. So let's uh, look at some of these qualities of Divine Truth. So let's look at this one, Divine... I'll put up there, divine truth is, firstly, infinite. Now how is this going to eventually affect me emotionally? What do you think? If I realise at the soul level that divine truth is infinite, how is that going to affect me on an emotional level inside of my soul at some point in the future? What, let me ask this question a different way. What do most religions believe about truth? They have a certain set of rules, or you know, they might have the Bible as the basis, or the Quran as the basis, or some other holy book as the basis. A certain set of rules, and what do they feel about that? Those rules. That's it. That's it. There is no other. That is it. Now, if I feel that divine truth is infinite. Will I any longer start saying that what I now know is it? No. no. So can you see that me understanding at the soul level that divine truth is infinite automatically places me in a state of humility? Can you see that? Because if I understand divine truth is infinite, where do I know I am? So let's, let's say infinite is way up there, somewhere. Right. Obviously infinite is hard to describe. There's all that 100 billion truths up there. Where am I in relationship to that? I'm down here, maybe one, two, three, or whatever it is, right? Oftentimes we're not beginning, aren't I? So can you see that me understanding this is where I am and this is where God's truth is, can you see straight away that's going to place me in a situation of feeling humble? Understanding that actually, if I connect to God, all this truth can become mine. If, if I'm open, if I understand that the divine truth is in me. What else does it do, knowing the divine truth is in me? Sorry? Uh, well, yeah, I don't feel that myself. It makes me feel humble, but not small. Um, it, Obviously, if it makes me feel small, then that's an error within me, because God actually feels that uh, I'm the greatest of his creations. So, if God feels that I'm the greatest of her creations, and I feel small, then there's an error in me that needs to be released. So, allow yourself to feel that emotion. So, I'm not saying don't feel that emotion, but I'm talking about what kind of things it can do for me in my own progression. If, if divine truth is infinite, and I'm down here with a finite amount of truth, how am I got to, going to get from here to there? 
I'm going to have a longing for truth, but what kinds of things are going to happen in my life to help me get from here to there? What's God's messenger of truth? The law of attraction. So the law of attraction is going to now help me get from there to there, right? If I understand that God's truth is infinite, I will actually love the law of attraction. How many of you love the law of attraction? <laughs> Not many at the beginning, right? At the beginning, what do we do with our law of attraction? This is how we feel about our law of attraction, isn't it? Well, what happens when we understand emotionally that divine truth is infinite? We start understanding, actually, emotionally, that actually the law of attraction is this beautiful thing. Because it, it's going to bring me all these truths that I didn't understand before. It's going to be God's messenger of truth to me. Isn't that wonderful? Don't you think? Yeah, that's right. So, me being open to that truth, can you see how straight away it's going to affect me emotionally on a lot of levels? Now, many of us at the moment are very adverse to our law of attraction. So that means in one way that we've yet to accept emotionally that the divine truth is infinite and the only way to get there is through the messenger of truth, which is our own law of attraction, God's messenger to ourselves. Um, it's an interesting point. I was just doing an overview of reality. Uh, I was doing an overview of reality, like what you're talking about. Um, and a government overview. A government overview. A government overview. Like, like this one. Yes, just from a governing point of view, it's an interesting concept and it's probably quite controversial. Because if you establish your own sets of right and wrong and truth in relation to your personal concept of God, mm -hmm. and that concept is not held, held by a state or any of their appointees, i.e. the major churches, mm -hmm. then it would be politically um, challenging for those who seek to politically control through controlling your belief systems or your concept of God because if it's a direct relationship with God, as you in vintage and as you grow, and if you're working with the fundamental love of truth, when was the last time we were governed for anyone else? True. So it's, it's, it's quite, it could be quite a personally expensive exercise in terms of uh, the confrontation you will experience. Very, it'll be very much so. Very much so. And that one should be fixed now. So. See, can you just speak into it for a moment? Oh, testing one, two, three. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, what you say is very true. Um, every single step we make into truth will confront every single thing around us. And of course, one of the things around us is the creation of our own self, our governmental system. That's going to be confronted. Your financial system is going to be confronted. The medical system is going to be confronted. The, you know, every system you could possibly consider as a system on earth, the religious system and so forth, are all going to be confronted. Every single one of them, just by you connecting to God in truth. The concept of unity would be interesting then, wouldn't it? If everyone was doing that. If everyone was doing the that. The concept of unity in, 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 a, in a social group of society, you'd have to break down the whole sociological structure of society and sort of start the new concept because... But that will happen naturally. And because everyone's practising love, it will happen without any disasters and without any deaths and without any... Do you know what I mean? Who's going to conduct the orchestra where you want to play this game? <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a lot of fun. 
Yeah, and this is the thing is, in the spirit world, in the higher spheres, this is what happens. Everyone does come together based on desire and based on their true emotions. But because it's happening in love and truth, everything happens a lot easier. And this is like, like last week we talked about the idea of a divine love community, right? And one of the beauties of having a divine love community and developing it in a way that is harmonious with love under all circumstances, even during the formulation of it, means that all of you at some point involved in it are going to be confronted emotionally about emotions that you're now holding on to in the real world because you think, oh, this is the real world and I've got to live in the real world and I've got to do what the real world says. So the beauty of truth is it exposes all of those things as well. All of those things. So don't be afraid of the truth in your life. Don't be afraid of what it's going to accomplish because it's going to accomplish the most beautiful transformation of your soul. At the moment, you just don't believe it many of you yet, right? And that's fine, you know. But at some point in the future, when you make that transition into the third sphere, you will understand how beautiful the truth is. And it's just an amazing thing that leads you to every other universal thing you could ever learn. It's all based around it, right? Hey, getting back to, to this topic. Um, Soon after um, watching the DVDs before it even met you, I think um, my experience was that it, it, the reorientation just opened everything up, and I could feel that what you were saying was complete. There was nothing that wasn't there. There was much more that could be said. Yeah. But um, there was no limit to this. So I began to experience um, what they showed me was that. There was no limit to the growth of my own soul. Yeah. Uh, I could just keep progressing. And strangely enough, I could see like how small I was perhaps, but I also felt that I was much more comfortable with where I was, with this, with this view of, of everything ahead of me. Yeah. Uh, so it helped a great deal. It's a lovely yeah. secure place in a way, isn't it? It is, yes. Because you're, it, what's happening inside of us is that most of us feel this deep feeling inside of us before we even before we ever see the truth. Most of us have sought the truth for much of our life, right? And we've been having this deep seeking emotion, but never really getting like every truth that we came against we usually got pretty enthused about, then we found some holes with it. We go, oh no, we feel that feeling of disappointment, then we go on to another truth, we found some holes in that, oh no, another feeling of disappointment. And then after a while we start feeling, is there there's probably no truth and then we start taking on these sort of new age viewpoints of, oh, there's your truth and there's my truth, and, you know, we start going along with that, but that never really feels satisfying to the soul either. And so we get into this state where we start getting really, really disappointed with search, our search for truth. And once we get the real truth presented to us, that feeling turns into a feeling of euphoria because we now feel so attracted to this real truth that's being presented to us. And there's a reason for that, and that is that God made our soul to resonate with her truth. And so everything within our soul eventually will finish up resonating with God's soul with regard to truth. And, and, so, and that will be a progressive state, obviously, because God's soul is infinite and God's truths are infinite. And as I'm progressing towards God, I'm becoming more and more infinite in my capacity to understand God's truth as well. But the beauty of it is that now I don't have this terrible feeling of loss and emptiness and, and this terrible feeling that my life's pointless and, and all those other emotions that all come along with the emotion of not understanding what the truth is. 
And, uh, and so the truth is just has this beautiful ability to open up everything within myself. Yeah. I think also it, um, the tendency to attempt to assess where you were, um, and obviously you're going to feel uncomfortable in, in doing that. Yeah. The, the fact that ultimately you can't ever do that meant that you could just settle back into what was actually going on. Exactly. Just live that. Instead of trying to measure where you are now. The way I look at it is, if, if, if progression to truth and love is infinite, then I'm in baby land, right? Because infinite is pretty large, right? <laughs> I'm in baby land, right? And in a hundred years' time, I'm still going to be in baby land. And in fact, probably in a thousand years' time, I'm still going to be in baby land, compared to the infinite truth that God has. Now, once you settle into that, you don't stop, you stop finishing up trying to compare yourself with everyone around you and comparing yourself with yourself a lot of times as well. So it has that ability. Understanding inside of yourself that the truth is infinite has this ability of actually calming you and, and causing you to settle in, in a state of peace. And so when that emotion enters you, you'll feel that peace come to you because of understanding that emotion. Now, intellectually, it causes a lot of different things than that. So if it's not yet an emotion in you, intellectually you go, oh boy, that means the rest of my life I'll still be looking for truth and I'll never find out what that is. And you know, you have a lot of these intellectual things going on that trigger certain emotions in error within you that need to be released. Until I have this transition emotionally, and when I have this transition emotionally about truth being infinite, then all of that starts to disappear. Alright, what's the next one? The next one is... <laughs> Divine truth is of the negative part of itself apart, admits no variations or modifications. So let's put that into a more single word. Divine truth is absolute. Now, most people, when I've said that to a group who, if I've said that to a group who's never met me before, most of the time when I say that to people, there's this huge barrage of anger that comes out. And the reason why is because nobody wants to feel that somebody other than themselves knows the absolute truth. And there's an emotion behind that. Well, how do you feel? If somebody come up to you and said, oh, do you know the full truth about yourself? And you say, yeah, of course I do. Right? And they say, no, you don't. Actually, you don't know this, you don't know that, you don't know this, you don't know that. <laughs> Imagine that. If God, if God could speak to you directly and you'd be open enough to hear it, God could do this with you, right? He could list all the things within you that you're not being truthful about. Like, there might be a thousand of them. How do you think that's going to feel? Right? It's pretty confronting at the start, right? But once I understand the divine truth is absolute, it actually simplifies my entire life. You see, before, I was thinking that, oh, that person has some truth, this person has some truth, and all of our truths are my truth, your truth, and all those sort of new age concepts. They will get very intellectually and philosophically confusing, do they not? Right? And you're saying to yourself that, yeah, that person just stole from me, and he's saying that that was his truth. I don't get that. You know what I mean? Like, there's lots of things you don't get in that, right? And if you've got a partner who's in this real, um, like there was one guy that I met uh, who was talking to his partner, 
And he was saying, yeah, I cheated on you last week, but, you know, that's your law of attraction, and that's your truth, and this is my truth, right? The truth is, you could look at it differently. You could look at it like I wasn't cheating on you. You could look at it like I was... Like, he was going down this philosophical road, right, to, to actually detune himself from his own law of compensation, right? In order to placate his woman so that they could stay together. But he was using all of these, uh, what I would call, new age intellectual philosophical mumbo jumbo in order to detune from truth. That's what he was doing. So, like, how does the wife feel under this circumstance? Oh, okay. Like, does she ever feel, oh, okay. Like, this is okay. Oh, it's an okay event. He cheated on me. It's an okay event. Does she feel like this inside of herself? No. Obviously not. When you know the truth is absolute, in other words, not him and not her, but God knows the absolute truth about that event. And all we need to do is find what that absolute truth is about that event. That means that both parties can now progress towards the absolute truth. And also, that also means, of course, that both parties are now going to progress towards being closer together, does it not? because they're now finding an absolute truth. Now, they may be closer together emotionally, they might decide to be apart, but they're still going to be closer together than they ever were when they were together, because of accepting the divine truth on the subject. This is the beauty of the truth being absolute. It doesn't need modification, ever. God's truth never will need, ever, in the future, modification. Every modification that I make about something that I tell you, and by the way, I will make modifications about what I tell you, why? Because I will learn more truth about what I'm telling you. And as I learn more truth, I have to say, oh, oh, my understanding of that wasn't true. And I'll have to admit what the new truth is, won't I? So, and every one of us is going to have to do that in our own progression, in our own lives. There is this common viewpoint towards me that I know all the truth. Is that possible? No. Okay, so why do you expect it? <laughs> it's not possible the only person that knows all the truth is God God is infinite in her capacity to understand all the truth am I God? no, I'm your brother so am I ever going to be in that state? no, never I'm never going to be in that state all I can do is connect to God as much as I can possibly connect to God now obviously when I'm at one with God and then as I grow more and more and more in love after at one minute I'm going to connect even God even stronger, more strongly, and more strongly, and more strongly. The more strongly I'm connected with God, the more truth I know. But I'm never going to know it all. Ever. And if you expect me to, then you're in error. And if you expect yourself to, you're in error too. You're never going to know it all. Right? And what you will know, though, is going to be far in excess of what the average person knows. The reason why that is the case is because there's another truth, and that is, as you receive divine love, if you seek divine love first in your life, all these other things will be added to you. All of these other things are all the truths of the universe that other people spend eons of time, like literally hundreds of thousands of years trying to discover. You will discover in five minutes. Right? So there's all these truths. Like There's literally hundreds of thousands of those kind of truths. There's more than that of these kind of truths that you will discover in five minutes that other people have taken a hundred years to discover. Because you're on the divine love path and they're on the natural love path. So how do you discover them? You say to the guy, well, I want to know about this truth. And God tells you. Right? But how's the other way to discover it? 
You're going to have to do experiment after experiment after experiment after experiment with your own life until you sort of think that you've got all the experiments down pat that you could ever come up with that would seem to prove this particular truth. And you know what? Even after you've done that, you will still not know it. You will just believe it to be true. So what man is doing now is investigating the creation in order to find truth. But God's truth is absolute. You don't have to investigate the creation. You've just got to investigate the Creator. Once you connect with the Creator, the Creator has the ability to tell you all this truth. But if you refuse to connect with the Creator, then yes, you are going to have to, if you want truth in your life, you are going to have to seek truth in this different way. This way of experimentation. So when I understand that divine truth is absolute within my soul, it just simplifies my life so much. I no longer have to experiment so much with truth. All I need to do is start facing the truth from God's perspective. And I will know whether I've got in the truth from God's perspective because if I'm not receiving divine love, I am out of harmony with truth in that particular thing. When I'm in harmony with truth, divine love will flow. When I'm out of harmony with truth, divine love will not flow. Straight away I've got a yes and no answer from God. Can you see that? So as soon as I'm in harmony, divine love flows, I know that's true. And I've sorted the question out in a few minutes. Questions that people have been asking for hundreds, sometimes thousands, and sometimes tens of thousands of years, you will get answers to in a few minutes because of that. So divine truth being absolute is really essential. What's the next one? Truth and love are always in harmony with each other. And in fact, if there's truth, so-called truth without love or love without truth, then they're not, none of them are real. The only way that love is real is by being fully harmonious with truth. So we could say divine truth is fully harmonious with divine love. How does this affect the emotion? At the emotional level, when I understand that divine truth is fully harmonious with divine love, I can understand the relationship of why I don't receive divine love. Because the only time when I'm not going to receive divine love is when I'm out of harmony with divine truth. So that makes everything really simple. Can you see that? For me to understand what's going on. I already know that I'm out of harmony. I don't have to work out, am I out of harmony? How do I find out whether I'm out of harmony? Well, you already know. If you're not receiving divine love, you're out of harmony. <coughs> that makes life really simple, just to know that. It might not make it that simple discovering why you're out of harmony, but your law of attraction is your, your messenger of truth. So that's already telling you this particular aspect of where you're out of harmony with. Right? So that simplifies that entire process. You notice over the page I've got some stuff about if I was praying for divine truth, I would... And then I, if I was paying for divine truth, I wouldn't. And if you look at under the section where there's a harmonious connection between those two, I've had many, many people say to me that they expect to receive divine love as soon as they ask for it. Now, the if I would have to put in front of that is, if I'm harmonious with divine truth, I can expect to receive divine love when I ask for it. 
Can you see the difference between those two states? Many people on the divine love movement around the world, they think they're receiving divine love, or they should be receiving divine love, when they're not, because they refuse to bring their life in harmony with divine truth. So can you see how essential truth is in this relationship? The, the relationship between truth and love? You notice too, I also say, also said, I will, if I'm praying for this truth, I will not inside of myself feel unjustly treated by God if I'm not receiving divine love under a certain circumstance. Will I? Because I'll understand straight away that I'm not receiving divine love because I'm not in harmony with divine truth on this whatever the matter is or whatever the groups of matters are generally. Now obviously the process of becoming at one with God is when I'm at one with God my, my truth now, and this is the transition that occurs between the 7th and the 8th sphere, my truth now will match God's truth. In other words, all of my personal truth, all of the emotions I have within me, match God's emotions about all of the same subjects. It doesn't mean I'm a, a, some kind of controlled robot. What it means is I have complete free will, complete individuality. In fact, you'll find you have far more individuality than you have right now. Because right now, most of us are living our lives in harmony with what everyone else wants us to live in. Right? You will live your life totally in a state of free will. But every single emotion within you in that place will be harmonious with love and harmonious with truth. That's a really powerful place to live in. For your own life, like enjoying your own life. Now, there's another, the next one. Divine truth does not compromise even for the sake of peace. Doesn't compromise for peace. This is where we start having a lot of personal trouble, isn't it? How many decisions do we make in a single day where we compromise the truth or we don't speak the truth from our emotions because we know if we say it, something not so good might happen as a response on the other end. Well, divine truth doesn't do that, ever. Divine truth never compromises itself for the sake of peace. God never compromises with you, ever. God will never compromise with you. That's fantastic. Because it means that when you understand love relationships, none of them get compromised ever either. But at the beginning we often feel that we need to compromise, don't we, for peace. So how many of you in your life in the past have believed that love would compromise under certain situations. So quite a lot of us, right? The truth is that love will never compromise under certain situations. Love will never compromise and can never compromise for the sake of peace. So let's look at what's going on inside of us emotionally here. If I have a feeling in me that I've got to withhold the truth from somebody, or I've got to not say the truth because it will make them upset, 
Can you see straight away that I'm no longer in harmony with divine truth? There's not peace either. And it's not peace either. It's a fictional creation of peace. It's not real. The soul is in total disharmony, right, with the other person, but we're both saying, oh, that's not happening. So the truth is that once I don't compromise truth within myself for the sake of peace, I'm bringing myself more in harmony with divine love. So under those circumstances, I'm praying to God. I'm praying to God for divine truth. If I compromise for the sake of peace, at that particular moment, I am not praying for divine truth. I'm saying to God, I don't want your divine truth. I don't want even my truth. And I certainly don't want the truth that that person's going to hammer me with if I say the truth to them. So divine truth never does that, ever. But ironically, when everybody gets in the state emotionally of accepting that truth, there is the most peace. Why is there the most peace? Because we're all focused on wanting to know what the divine truth is and living in harmony with divine love when we're in that state. So ironically, that's when there's the most peace. So, for example, if my partner comes to me and tells me something about her life, that, you know, like last week, um, you know that guy that I met down the street? Yeah, well, I slept with him. Now, that's a pretty confronting thing to hear if you're in a relationship, isn't it? Right. Now, She's not compromising for the sake of peace. So what she's doing is she's telling me the truth of something she did. My feelings, if I don't compromise for the sake of peace, is I'll actually own my own emotions. I will not compromise my own emotions. So I won't just say, oh, you know, get a bit, bit angry, walk around the place for a day or two and then say, oh, I was forgiven. Because it's highly unlikely that I'm actually forgiving them by doing that, right? I will actually work through it emotionally. I will actually work through the event emotionally. I'll let myself feel my emotions about it. And I won't compromise those emotions either for the sake of peace. Because if I did, what I would actually be doing... So let's say I started compromising my emotions so because I wanted her to stay with me. I'm not addressing in her or myself the reason why she did it in the first place. Does that make sense? There's reasons in her emotionally why she slept with someone else other than myself if we were in a committed relationship. And I need to allow myself to look at that emotionally, and she needs to look at that emotionally. If I compromise the truth in that situation, she may never look at that emotionally, and I may never look at it emotionally, but where are we? We're both not harmonious with love or God. So in the end, even in those events, we need to not compromise for the sake of peace. Even when you've made a mistake. Don't compromise for the sake of peace. Admit your error. And the emotion in you will come up. You'll be able to feel those emotions, you'll be able to work through those emotions and release them. But you will never touch the emotion if you compromise the truth of the emotion. You'll never even work through the emotion there, ever. So for the majority of us, the emotions are not rising because we're not being truthful about what's actually there. And we need to become truthful about what's actually there before these emotions will flow. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. Well, there's another uh, 10 or 11 points that I'd like to cover after a break. So we'll have a break now. And uh, we'll probably 30 to 45 minute break.
and, uh, and then we'll cover some more points about divine Yeah, this discussion about truth is uh, quite often pretty confronting because a lot of the times what we're doing is we're always trying to get away and run away from the truth initially. And so when, when we're presented with truth, we often are just so confronted with it that we say, oh, do you mean in this situation, I've got to be truthful too. In that situation, I've got to be truthful too. And yes, in the end, I'm saying in every situation, you're going to be told the truth. So it doesn't matter what the situation is. And you'll never want to cover over the truth. In fact, what's going to happen in your life is you have a burning and passionate desire to live in truth 100% of the time. And you, in fact, will find yourself so enthusiastic about it that it's impossible for you to not live in that state. And so, um, if I'm not yet in that state, then obviously there's just emotions of error that I need to work my way through. That's all I need to do. Now, the reason why it's such an important issue is that unless I'm in that state, every truth that I'm ever confronted with is going to feel so painful. It's going to be so stressful. It's going to be such a nightmare to face. It's a bit like, at the moment, each of us have a castle, right? That we've constructed around our soul. And every attack on that castle is going to be defend, defended generally by us very vigorously. And that's the issue we face. What we need to do is get out of that state and into a state where we're no longer defending the truth. Now, my Law of Attraction Day was interesting because in my break I had two men approach me and both of them, unbeknown to themselves, were in the state of vigorously defending their own truth and yet not wanting to know that. So, no matter what I say to those people, I know that they cannot accept the truth that I'm telling them. In one case, in one case it was because you felt you already knew it here, in the other case it was because anything emotionally was to do, you know, was obviously not the truth. Wants the truth to be intellectual. Remember right at the start of this discussion I said that the truths will be emotional and not intellectual. So if you think you know the truth about yourself intellectually, but you've yet to have the emotional experience, trust me, you do not know the truth. You do not know the truth yet until you have the emotional experience. Now, the intellectual experience is a part of it in the sense of knowing what the intellectual like what the truth is intellectually, can help you have the emotional experience. But until you've had the emotional experience, you will not know the truth. You just think you do. And that state, by the way, is a very damaging state to you. Because you're going to believe that state, and you're going to think you know things that yet you are yet to really know at the soul level. It takes a lot of effort to get out of that state and into the state of feeling the truth emotionally and having a desire to feel it emotionally inside of yourself and actually really feeling it, what it, what it is emotionally. And that's why and the next time we get together, I think it is, I'm talking about the subject of emotions of self-deception. Because almost everyone that comes up to talk with me most of the time have deep emotions of self-deception. And, and often when I identify those emotions of self-perception, they say, I already know that. <laughs> and they don't know it. Because if they knew it, they would already be feeling it, and they're not feeling it. So while they may be, it would be more correct to say, 
I am intellectually aware of that. <laughs> but the truth is that doesn't help you any. In, on the, uh, one of the websites, so I've written a document about, uh, I think it's called Divine Love, Repentance and Forgiveness or something like that, and I can't, I can't remember what I told you, but I talked about this process of soul realisation and intellectual realisation. And I, and I list, the, there is five or six steps in the process of becoming intellectually aware that you have an issue that is not in harmony with love or truth. But you know, you can go through every one of those intellectual steps, which by the way are generally essential as an adult to go through. But you can go through every one of those steps and still never release an emotion and never change your law of attraction. And many of us are doing this by holding on to emotions of self-deception. And that's why I wanted to have that subject coming up soon to talk about. To actually have the soul changes occur, there is a whole nother process that needs to occur. And it has to occur at the heart level, the soul level, the emotional level. That's the level it has to occur on. And when those processes occur, then law of attraction changes instantly. And everything around you changes instantly as a result of your soul condition changing as you release the emotion. But most people I find are very fascinated with the intellectual process of realisation. And most people come up and they say, I know that, I know that, I know that. And I'm feeling, no, 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 you don't get this yet. Because you're saying you know that. But actually, no, you're not feeling that. So why is there this huge discrepancy? What's going on? There are blockages to the feeling of it. Does that make sense? Now, many of us will stay in that state for as long as we want. And you will stay in that state because free will dictates the state that you stay in. But it's not going to be very good for you in the long run staying in those states. What we want to do is get out of that state. Now, one thing that Mary and I didn't describe was Mary first went through this discussion, didn't you, that when she was describing to you this process she went through a few weeks ago of writing down her past, basically, doing, doing an inventory of her past. Initially, it was done quite intellectually, wasn't it? Uh, like, you listed a lot of the stuff, you looked at it from a very um, positive viewpoint, looking at yourself, if you like. Didn't want to look at things very in a negative way. And this is what the problem is for the majority of us, is we do one of these kind of inventories of our life, but we want to see, we want to see ourselves positively. We don't want to see ourselves as God sees us. We want to see ourselves positively in the sense of, you know, we want to have a fictitious viewpoint of ourselves generally. And so what we'll do is we'll do one of these inventories and in the end process very little of emotion and say, oh, isn't it wonderful? I realised this about my father and I realised this about my mother and I realised this about my brother and sister and I realised this about all my relationships and this man, he was a terrible man and that man was a terrible man and we start going down all this track of seeing all of our law of attraction but we don't relate it to ourselves. And instead what we do is we project all of what we're learning out onto everyone else that was in our lives and still don't see the point of it. In the end, it's about truth about yourself, your own condition. Now, when Mary and I did that first, and then, I, and then Mary asked me to help with the situation, I then went over everything again. I said, no, but that's not the truth. That's not the truth that you're... That's not the truth of that relationship. The truth of the relationship is this, what's that truth telling you? And that's when, when Mary had those realisations, she also had the emotions flowing. 
that's about how it happened, wasn't it? So the truth is, for the majority of us, you're going to want to do an inventory or do some of these things like a fear list that I've suggested to you, an anger list, or whatever else that I've suggested to you, but you'll do it in a very untruthful way. And then you'll say to me, oh, but I've done that before, and it doesn't work. But no, it doesn't work because we're not truthful enough in the end. That's the only thing that makes these things work. And in the end, to be truthful enough means to be as truthful as God is with you. God sees absolutely every single emotion within you, positive or negative, doesn't matter to God, He sees absolutely everything. And we've got to see the same. What were our our motivations? Now, I've heard many of you come up to me and say, oh, my motivation was this, my motivation... I'm saying, no, 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 your motivation wasn't that at all. Your emotion, motivation was very negative, actually. It was to do with this. Oh, no, I don't agree with you about that. No worries, you don't have to agree with the word I say. But I know that in the end, if you don't look at that emotion, you will not progress further towards God. And it's up to you what you do with that. Does that make sense? Like, so many times lately I'm finding a person come up to me, ask me a question, I give them an answer. It's not the answer they wanted to hear. It's not what they believed. And so they go away saying, oh, AJ doesn't know what he's talking about. And honestly, um, you can believe that, and I'm happy for you to believe that, in fact. I've done all I can to help you face the truth. That's all I need to do. But you are not going to progress that way. If every single interaction you have with every person, you go up to them and say, what do you really feel about me, or what do you feel is about my injuries, and they tell you, and then you say, oh, they they don't know. In the end, you're not going to look at your law of attraction, you're not going to see the answers that are coming at you constantly in your life. The truth is going to expose all that for you. And in the end, you will see things as God sees you, which is going to be the most powerful thing for you. Can you do it the other way around? Can we microphone? Microphone. I just want you can do it the other way around and be overcritical of yourself instead of uh, judge everything in the opposite. And don't view criticism as truth. When you're overcritical of yourself, you're now judging yourself. Uh, like I suggest, I suggest that you shine a light on yourself really strongly and see absolutely every flaw. But I'm not saying that that's being critical of yourself. See, most of you are judging it as being critical of yourself, but that's not what I'm saying. When you shine your light, the light of truth, on you and expose absolutely everything in you, you're not being critical of yourself. You're being truthful with yourself. Critical with yourself is when you take that process and now judge it. And now judge yourself for having these things in you. Now you're being critical of yourself. And I'm not suggesting you do that. No, I really don't. But I am suggesting that you have to see absolutely every flaw. Absolutely every single one of them within yourself. And God's, God's going to help you in that process, but God's not going to make you do it. We've been asking for that, and that seems to be more. I think that I'm seeing more what I'm my part in. You're starting to see more of this. I don't blame anyone else, but I suppose I don't blame anyone.
Well, the truth is, a lot of times we say, oh, I don't blame everyone else, but there is an emotion in me of wanting to blame others. So let's be truthful about it. For many of you, when you think about the harm that's been done to you in your life by ex-partners, parents, or whatever, you do feel an emotion of blame, do you not? You do feel an emotion of anger. You do feel upset. You do feel like they are. these emotions are the truth within you. Do you see what I'm saying? So don't go and tell yourself this lie, then I'm not upset with that. The truth is you are, and you've just covered that over because you think being upset's not spiritual. But trust me, being upset's spiritual. If it results in you digging deeper and finding the core emotion, the griefing emotion, and releasing it. Being upset is not spiritual when all you do is just stay in your anger and just blame everyone else aside and instead of looking at yourself. So, so that's the judgment. Don't you've got, you've got to look at the emotional reasons why you do the judgment. And I, I have given up that. There will be childhood uh, emotional reasons, and always. Yeah. But I can't get past that stage. I mean, I got past the stage of my aware of the actual experiencing it has been very locked in. Yeah, because you don't want to experience it. Not probably not. not. You, you don't want to experience it. Yes. Can, I, can I just say something about the truth thing here? If I am not right now experiencing the emotion I know exists in me, I don't want to experience it. Just, yeah. I just do not. Yeah. And there'll be fears associated with why you don't, and there'll be other you know emotions associated with why you don't. Mary, you wanted to add some things to that? Uh, I was just going to say, when I did my inventory, I had... Um, it is on, you just need to hold it for this. The, um, the experience that I had was that I had told myself a story about being a very moral person. Um, so that was all in my intellect. But that was a big story that I created to avoid these feelings of shame. Um, and that I must be a terrible person. And what I, so I had a lot of self-blaming emotions in there as well. What I found is when I went into it really sincerely and emotionally, when I got underneath um, those blame and shame emotions, I could deal with the core emotions that were driving And then the truth that I found from God's perspective was actually, yes, I had done these things, but God loves me. And, you know, it was a whole new sense of... Um, Faith and a loving truth as well. Yeah. So it's, I had a lot of fear about it being a very critical and blaming um, process as well, but it, it actually turned out to be turned out to be opposite to that. Yeah. So you see, it's like uh, self blame, self shame is the same as blaming <coughs> somebody else. It's all an emotion of self deception. <clears throat> it's an emotion of self deception so that it can get you away from experiencing the causal emotion. We always create emotions of self-deception in order to stay away from what the causal emotion is. Mm-hmm. Right? So quite often I'll be, someone will come to me and say, oh, what's the causal emotion within it? I say, well, these are the emotions that are within you. You feel very angry about that, and underneath that is this and whatever. And they go away feeling like they've just been annihilated. Right? That's another, that's a self-deception emotion. And that prevents you from accessing the real emotion the grief, the deep grief, and other emotions that you face about the truth of yourself. 
We'll talk about emotions of self-deception in another session, but you can see how the truth is related to this. Most of the time what we're doing is we're actually living in our emotions of self-deception. Most of the time that's what we're doing. And until we get to atonement with God, we will be doing that. We'll be living in varying degrees of emotions of self-deception. Once we get to be at one with God, you will no longer have an emotion of self-deception. But until that point in time, there are going to be emotions of self-deception that you are needing to experience. And emotion of self-deception is there to prevent you from feeling a deeper emotion that is more painful. So many of you will kick into a self-blame emotion, for example, and feel terrible crying, you'll be grieving, crying about how terrible you are. You're in an emotion of self-deception. You're allowing yourself to feel that emotion because right at that moment there's a truth you don't want to experience. And that is the emotional pain of what's underneath that emotion. Right? Which might be this terrible feeling of being unloved or unwanted or whatever it is, right underneath it. And instead of letting yourself feel that, you want to feel the emotion of self-deception instead because it's more easily felt. And it means you can get away from the emotion underneath. Does everyone follow me? The problem with that state is that you think you're doing the emotional work that we're talking about, and that's not true, you're not. We're not doing the emotional work when we're in an emotional self-perception. We're doing the emotional work when we actually get to the causal emotion. When you're in emotions of self-deception, your law of attraction does not change. That's the way you know that you're in an emotion of self-deception. Your law of attraction will not change. Your law of attraction, when your law of attraction changes, you know you just dealt with a cause of emotion. That's why your law of attraction is your messenger of truth. So getting back to the truth issues, one of the truth issues about divine truth is that divine truth always buzzes. <laughs> <laughs> and my battery's running out, that's why it's... Uh, I'll just... Uh, how are we doing now? Ooh, this is... This is probably the wide Next one, divine truth is always respecting free will. Um, so divine truth will never compel a person to receive the truth if it's against their will. Do you understand what I mean by that? So, so this straight away gets rid of all wars. Can you see how that would occur? What's a war? Is compelling another person or a group of people to accept what you feel is true. Isn't it? And you're willing to kill them to compel them. That's the war. Well, divine truth prevents all wars. Because we will no longer allow ourselves to get involved in a situation where we're pushing another person to do anything they don't want to do. We might encourage them, 
We might tell them the truth about it, but we will allow them to express their free will. We won't compel them with force. Can you see how a lot of parenting has a bit of problem with divine truth? You look back in your lives as parents uh, with children, can you see how many times you compelled them against their will to do something? Every time you did that, you broke the law of divine truth. Every single time. Now, for me, that was like hundreds of times. Hundreds of times where I did that. And I've had to actually feel that emotion to get through that emotion. So, respecting free will is even down to the fact that if you know somebody else doesn't want to do something, and you manipulate them through a series of events, or you manipulate them with your words to get them to do it, even though you know that they don't really want to do it, you're breaking the law. Can you see how that changes a lot of interactions with all sorts of things going on in the world around us? Just that. Now, once I feel that in my heart, I will never want to manipulate you into doing something you don't want to do. Ever. Even when I know you don't want to do it, but you don't know. So let's say we have an effect where I know you don't want to do something, I can feel that, and you think you do want to do it. I will not ever compel you to do it under those circumstances. You think you want to do it, but your soul is where the free will comes from, not your head. If the emotion is you don't want to, then I will not be able to compel you to do it against that will you have within yourself. Does that make sense to everyone? <coughs> now, initially when we hear that, we go, well, how do I know what everyone's feeling? Well, you we don't need to worry about that yet. All we need to do is focus on the fact of free will and doing that, focusing on that first. As you progress in your own emotional condition, you'll feel the emotional condition of others and therefore you'll know whether their will is being compelled or not when you ask them to do something. Or they even offer to do something for you. So I've had people offer to do things for me that I've refused because I can feel that at the free will level they do not want to actually do it for me. Or that they want to do it for me for totally different reasons than what they think they want to do it for me. So sometimes they think, oh, I'm just being friendly and doing something. And the feeling I'm getting is there's a transaction involved where they want me to do something in return. Or they feel that they're paying me for something that I've done. And we don't want to do that either. Does that make sense? Jen? And microphone, if we can. I don't think it's on, is it? How do you actually know when you're coming from a position of injury, the other person's coming from a position of injury? How, how do you actually know? How do you know whether you're damaging their free will or? How do you actually know where love lies and you know, whether you're impacting their free will? When you when both, both come from a position of injury. The question I ask myself is, would I be doing this if I was at one with God? 
Um, you don't need, need to really, if you can imagine, what does God do with you? Ask yourself, what does God do with you? So, let me give you an example. Um, you decide you're going to drive your car on the opposite side of the road than everybody else. What does God do about that? He allows that. Yeah. Why? Because that's your free will choice to do that. Okay. Is it is it wrong from love perspective or love of self perspective? From God's perspective, it's not wrong because you're exercising your free will. Yeah, but is it your own self love? Are you breaking a law of love if you do it? In one sense, you are. Well, it depends on how many cars are on the opposite side of the road. <laughs> right, so, can you see that? Like, like, if the opposite side of the road is full of cars coming in the opposite direction to you, what you're driving, can you see that if I decide uh, I'm going to drive on the opposite side of the road, what am I doing? You're taking away their free will. I'm taking away their free will, but I'm also now in the process of maybe damaging them or myself. Is that love? No. Okay, so it's not loving for me to do that. But if I'm driving along the, on the, this side of the road, there's no one, no, not a single car on the opposite side of the road, for as far as the eye can see. What's the problem with me driving on the opposite side of the road? Not a lot at all, is it? Am I breaking a law of love then? No. No. Can you see every single situation is going to have specific events? Now, let me illustrate this further with you so that you can connect to what's going on like, why, why I've said that. If I, I know when I'm breaking laws of love generally, towards myself or to the other person or towards God. Generally I know. But most of the time I want to remain completely oblivious to it. Right? Also, I can ask the question, how does God treat me? Because how God treats me is how I should be treating the other person. So let's take this example into a relationship. Does God tell me when I do things wrong? Do you have a little voice in your ear that says, oh, you just did something wrong? You just did something wrong again. You just did something wrong again. Do you have that? No, but He created within us a, a, a conscience or a mechanism for us to come to an understanding that we've done something wrong. Of course. Yes, but where's that coming from, Jen? It's coming from your, the resonance within yourself with God, isn't it? Is it not? It's not coming from somebody telling you in your ear. Now, if you want to tell your partner in his ear what he's doing wrong, can you see straight away that I'm now out of harmony with love? This is not what God is doing with your partner. God's not doing that with your partner. God would appeal to your partner, but he wouldn't tell him what to do and tell him when he's wrong all the time. Because in the end, if he doesn't have a desire to know when he's wrong, then he's going to have to work on that with God in his own relationship. See, most of the time what we're doing in relationships is we want the other person to change, so we keep telling them the truth of what we feel is the truth, of course, not necessarily the truth. We want them to change to suit our emotional condition, do we not? Because we're unwilling to make decisions about our own emotions and our own condition and what we believe is true. 
We don't want to take responsibility for our own emotions, so what we do is we get the other person to take emotional responsibility for us. God doesn't do that either. You know God doesn't do that because God doesn't do it with you. God doesn't make you take responsibility for God's emotions. So why would you do it for another, with another person? You see, all I need to do is ask myself, what is God doing with me? Because whatever God's doing with me is the most loving thing. And if I'm not doing that with another person, then I'm out of harmony with that love. Does that make sense to everyone? There's a lot of silence. <laughs> if God doesn't get in my ear 24-7, tell me everything I'm doing wrong 24 by 7, right? then if I'm doing that to another person, am I loving? No. 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 Of course not. Right? So often we need to ask ourselves, what is God doing with me? With your children, for example. Does God come along and tell you you've got to tidy up after yourself? <laughs> God doesn't, does she? No, so you're driving along in your automobile down on the highway, putting up two, kilo, two tons of pollution every year out of your car, minimum. And God doesn't say, now you've got to clean that up. <laughs> Does God say that to you? But that's what you're doing when you're driving on a car. God's, we're doing that, but God's not saying, you've got to clean that up. So why are you then doing it with your child? There's an emotion in the child that's being reflected by your own condition as to why they don't have enough love to tidy up after themselves. That's what you need to address. That is the truth of the matter. But telling them in their ear that they're doing it and needing to clean them up is not going to address that emotion. All it does is address the effect of the emotion. And remember last week we learned God doesn't deal with effects, ever. God always deals with causes. That's what God wants to do. So if your child is not tidying up after itself, that is an issue for themselves in their own love of self, is it not? They're not looking after their own environment. Therefore, they do not love themselves enough to care for their own environment. And if it's in my child, then it's in me. Because I created them, all of my emotions got impressed upon them. So what they're reflecting to me is the fact that I'm not cleaning up or having a desire to clean up in my own environment, either emotionally or physically. Because I don't have enough self-love to do it. And I need to work my way through that self-love and help my child work its way through its self-love. And then... Both of us will be tidying up after ourselves without having to be told. Does that make sense to everyone? It's an issue, again, it gets back to an issue of what's going on inside of us emotionally. That is the truth. So a lot of people will look at that same situation and say intellectually, but it's wrong for the child to not tidy up after itself. When you say wrong, I, if, if you use the term unloving, yes, I agree. It is unloving for the child to not look after itself. Totally unloving. But let's address the reason why it doesn't want it. Not the effect of why it doesn't want it. The effect is the untidy room. The reason is far different to that. Does that make sense? If you address the causes, and remember all prayer, remember one of the things we said last week about prayer? All prayer must address causes. God cannot listen to prayer that doesn't address causes. Can you see most of the time we're not dealing with causes? So can I just talk about your interaction with Graham this week for a moment? Do you mind? Is that okay? 
Well, you put it in the public arena then, so you know, I'm just asking you whether you want to continue it in, in, in the arena. You, you're allowed to say no, Jen. Sorry? No, but you're allowed to say no, because the feeling I'm getting from you is you'd prefer not to. You sure? It's interesting I'm having that feeling from you, because you never asked Graham to post your stuff on the net when you posted it. Can you see how there's a bit of hypocrisy there? The question I'm going to ask you though is this, why do you want to post about your life on the net before it's resolved? There's an emotion in there. Now I can understand fully posting it on the net during the process of resolution or after the process of resolution in particular because from a teaching perspective. I'm doing that with you constantly. So I'm telling you about my life constantly as I've dealt with different emotions and what's going on there. But why do you want to do it with the other person about that? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, there's an issue inside of wanting to punish publicly the other person for their behaviour. I'm not saying, I'm saying it was. But we can disagree on that. And we're allowed to. Yes, but if you reread, but if you reread your post, you will see the focus was not your father. You mentioned your father and some things, and then you went back to your relationship with Graham. And you didn't want to deal with the underlying emotional cause. I absolutely, completely relate to Graham exactly the same way as I relate to my father. I agree. There is, there is no difference. But that doesn't make Graham your father. And he relates to me like I'm his mother. I agree. And that's what the person's about. No, I'm sorry, but I don't agree with that. I don't agree that that's what the post was about. The post was about you avoiding the core emotion. I haven't reached what the core emotion is. I know. The reason, the reason why you haven't reached it is because the whole purpose of the post was to avoid it. Every single relationship I've ever had with men, every single one, was exposed in the moment I realised I agree, but the emotion is not flowing in you because you are still having the emotion of self-deception. The emotion of self-deception is the blame emotion, either of yourself or of Graham. Remember I spoke with you about that the last time you visited. The emotion of self-deception is the blame of either one of you. If you can't blame Graham, you finish up blaming you. Agreed? When I saw you the last time, we went through two and a half hours of you exposing that many things. I don't actually remember you said that. Maybe. That's maybe. okay. I'm saying it again now. That's okay. The emotion of self-deception 
is the emotion where I want to blame the other person for myself. What happened is when I stopped you from blaming Graham, you then went straight into blaming yourself, which is still the same self-deception emotion. And underneath the self-deception emotion is the truth emotion. The truth emotion is the one that you want to avoid by doing that. So take care of the reason why you're exposing things publicly all the time. And part of that reason is because of this self-deception emotion. Allow yourself to dig deeper than that emotion and get to the real truth of the matter. Whenever I'm harming the free will of another, I'm not in emotional truth. When I say harming the free will of another, I mean when I'm choosing to make choices that the other person wouldn't make if they had the choice for them, then I am harming them. Do you follow me? So bear that in mind with all of your interactions. It's okay to face these truths. Does that make sense? Like it's okay to feel these truths. The truth is that I am allowed to do whatever I want. That's one truth. But whenever I harm the free will of another person in doing it, I am going to have an automatic law of compensation about that. That's also another truth. And when I harm the free will of another, I am actually not in harmony with divine truth. Because it's not something God would do. God, to God, your free will is paramount. To God, you're allowed to do anything you want. God already has laws in place that cause an effect on your soul to correct you should you do something that is out of harmony with love or truth. Okay. Um, yeah, I think Could you please try and explain to me why you're so uncomfortable and why I tune out? It seems to be on a more personal level. Um, I miss things very much. Right, so how many of you find yourself doing that? Whenever I mention something to someone specifically about their particular situation, how many of you feel very tuned out of that discussion? Because there's quite a lot of you who do that. Quite a lot. There's a lot more put up their hand by that. What emotion do you feel is in you when that happens? Because there's an emotion inside of you when that happens. Shame, personal shame. So a lot of times what I'm talking about with the person is something that you yourself have felt exists within you. Agreed? And then there's this shame feeling that happens and often that feeling is not allowed to rise and so what we have a tendency to do then is to not want to listen and not want to pay attention. So we start tuning out, we start even going to sleep. Many spirits with us do this, by the way. So many of us still have spirit attachments who are trying to help us tune out when they're looking at an emotion. Why would a spirit help you tune out? Because he wants you to keep that emotion. That, if you keep that emotion, he'll be able to stay the most connected with you. But if you lose that emotion, then he won't be able to be connected with you anymore. Does that make sense? So there's a lot of external reasons that happen to us when we start to tune out or, or miss things. The reason why we're doing it is because there's an emotion in us of avoidance. Like, when I notice that happening in myself, I write it down straight away. Because it means a big thing is underneath it, generally. Avoidance of something large within myself. Does that make sense? 
So, so when I speak individually to some of you, the reason why I've chosen to do that, the reason why I've chosen to speak to Jen about that is because I know Jen's willingness to deal with her emotions, and I also know that that emotion exists in many of you, but you're not owning up to it. Does that make sense? The emotion of wanting to expose another person and what they're doing wrong exists within many of you, but you don't want to own up to it. And in having this interaction with Jen, we can expose that emotion. But many of you who have done that in the past want to detune from the fact that you've done it. You want to run away from the fact you've done it. So in interaction with Jen, oh, Jen's taking all the limelight, emotion might come up for you with that, right? Or, oh, Jen's doing this, another emotion comes up for you. And the reason why I enter these interactions is so that those emotions come up with you. Allow yourself to feel those emotions rather than skipping over them all the time. Or blaming me, or blaming Jen, or whatever for the, for the interactions that occur. I feel her being open is a beautiful thing, but many of you feel her being open is a, done for other reasons. So allow yourself to feel through those emotions and work your way through them. But yes, whenever you feel an emotion where you're feeling yourself getting distracted or wandering off, there is always an emotional core of that. So if you can allow yourself to see what caused it, and every time I've traced it back inside of myself, I've noticed there was something that was said. There was just some, there was something that was said, or just a little event that occurred, and wham, I was off on another planet. And that was my avoidance. That's the way I got away from that. Does that make sense? Pull yourself back into it. What am I avoiding? This is a part of being truthful with yourself. So what's next after respecting free will? What's the next emotion with regard to truth? That it won't allow itself to conform to men's beliefs. So if I felt that inside of myself, and another person comes along and says, oh, did you know AJ's a cult leader, right? I'd go, oh, okay, okay, yeah, a bit of fear comes up with that. Oh yeah, maybe that's right, I'll have to investigate that. And off I go and investigate it. What have I now done? If I haven't already investigated that before that was said to me, what have I done? I've allowed another person and their beliefs to influence my behaviour. Now it's great that it is because it's triggering an emotion, right? but I'm not in a state of love of truth of myself in that state. Because if I had already resolved it, I would already know what to do, whether I agree with them or not. But I wouldn't change what I do just for the sake of another person's beliefs. So I can believe all I want, what I'm saying is true, but if you're changing your beliefs just because I say so, then that's an error. Can you see that? It doesn't matter who I am. If you change your belief just because I say you should, there's an error. See, divine love or divine truth does not conform. To men's beliefs. Or women's beliefs. It's very important to understand that. Can you see why? In the end, all of you will come to see the truth, not because I've said it to you, but because you've felt it in your own heart. Right? 
This is why it's so important to open up your soul. It's the only mechanism you have for determining truth. The only one. Intellectually, you can present, be presented with argument after argument after argument. We can, we can tie up your mind as long as you want, intellectually, to avoid any truth or to make you believe something that's not true quite easily. Isn't that what they do with politics? Give you the spin. Right? Now, men can do this constantly, and this is constantly happening in the universe up until the sixth sphere of the spirit world where you get the spin. But you are only going to be able to determine the truth when you feel the divine truth in your heart and you will no longer conform to any other person's beliefs. So, how could I accept the truth in the first century when not a single person around me accepted the truth? Only by not conforming my beliefs to their beliefs. Why did I do that? Only by connecting with divine truth and feeling the resonance between that truth and what was in my soul by growing in love. That's the only way I'm going to determine truth. That's the only way you're going to determine truth. It will be a personal experience for you. Totally personal. It has nothing to do with me, aside from the fact that I would like to help you with it. But it's got nothing to do with me. It's all to do with how strong a desire you personally have to actually connect to God in that way. And so you can be the only person on this planet who knows the truth. I've experienced that in my own life, in the first century. Whereas the only person who knew the truth. It's a very, it, it can be if you're not a one with God, a lonely place. But if you're a one with God, you never feel lonely, so it's no longer a lonely place. Does that make sense? So you will get to the stage in your own progression where you know what you are hearing is truth or not truth. You'll know the difference between a truth and a lie, not because you intellectually have worked it out, but because you can actually feel the difference between one and the other. And that's a pretty freeing place. Can you see that? Up the back, if the mic. Uh, Yep, uh, you might have to hold it quite close. Hey, Jay. Um, I was just wondering, um, I've heard you talk about spiritualities and things of that nature, and I was wondering, what is the divine truth behind um, the idea that there are extraterrestrials and UFOs uh, and that they are interacting with us in a way that may not necessarily be conducive to the, the things that you are asking for? Yep. Um, can I answer that question in a question and answer session that I'm having later, that, uh, in UDLO? Because today I'd like to focus more on the issue of truth, not the specific truths. If that, that, a brief, very brief answer is that almost all interactions with these kind of beings are actually spirit interactions. And I'll explain how that's the case perhaps at another time, uh, if I can do that. Alright, let's move on to the next one. What's the next one? Truth results in freedom. So divine truth always results in freedom. So let's say you're in a religious movement and and all of a sudden you get presented with you must not do this, you must not do that, you must not do this, you must not do that. And how free are you feeling now? 
So, so would a religious movement in, ha in harmony with divine truth say you must not do anything and you must do anything? Wouldn't it instead say, if you do this, you'll disconnect yourself from love? If you do, don't do that, you'll disconnect yourself from love. But you're allowed to do whatever you want. So would a, would a religion that's harmonious with divine truth ever excommunicate somebody? Of course not. Because what's excommunication? It's, you naughty person, you're not allowed to do that, so we're going to push you out. From God's perspective, is the person allowed to do it? Yes. Even if it's in disharmony with love, they're allowed to do it, are they not? Yes. So why would I not allow them? Can you see that straight away, freedom becomes a very, very important issue. So let's look at all the different things that result in a lack of freedom on the earth. Money results in a lack of freedom on the earth, doesn't it? Like if you haven't got any money, you try living in places where there's no money and you will feel very severely restricted in the current environment. So what's that telling us? It's telling us that the monetary system that we currently have is not loving and it's not harmonious with divine truth and it's going to go. The more people come in harmony with divine truth, the more it's going to disappear. And eventually it will disappear forever. The reason why is because it's not resulting in freedom. Let's look at the political aspect of things. Do you feel free when you're driving on the road? Why? Because so many laws, some of which you disagree with, right? Don't you? Like, like you drive up to a stop sign, and there's not a single other person, there's a stop light, I'm saying. You stop, you look left and you look right, middle of the night, 3am, not a single other person on the road. Right? You can't see a, s a single car and you have to sit there away. <laughs> How free does that feel? And so, so, what would a law that's more harmonious with freedom if there's not a single other person on the road? Just obey the normal stop sign rules and proceed. That would be far more harmonious with love, would it? Far more harmonious with truth and it result, because it results in freedom. More freedom for you. Anything that results in more freedom for you, as long as it also results in more freedom for the other persons around you, is going to be harmonious with love. But if it results in more freedom in quotations for you, and no freedom for anyone around you, then that's not love either. And it's not divine truth either. So if I then take the point of view, oh, I'm free, so that means I'm free to rape and pillage, right? then obviously that's not harmonious with love, is it? Because freedom also results in more freedom for everyone around me. Can you see that? Yeah. So, but it's a very important point, freedom. It's also an important point when you look at any religious format, or any political format, or any environmental format, or any whatever you can think of for that, financial or so forth, if a law that they create results in less freedom for everyone involved and more restrictions, then it's unloving. Quite simple. When I feel that in my soul, I will actually feel in my own family when I've created a law that's resulted in less freedom. So give you one. You've got a teenage girl, 15, just exploring sexuality. <laughs> your daddy. Daddies often have a problem with their little girls getting involved with other men, right? So what do they normally do? They make all of these 
laws. You gotta be home by 10, you gotta ring me here, you gotta find it, here's a new mobile phone, you gotta find it, you know, all these laws are all made really to assage or to lessen daddy's fears. And in fact, laws are made generally to reduce your own fear. So are they based on love? No. So let's look at what, what would result in freedom. What would daddy do with the girl if he's in a state of making her more free? What would he do there? She's allowed to stay out whenever she wants, for as long as she wants, with whoever she wants. However, what would I also do if I was in love and truth? I would warn her of the possible hard dangers to her soul or the soul of others making the choices. Do you see what I'm saying? I would make her aware of those things. But I would allow her to do it. So with my boys, when they were 15 or so, it's exactly what they did. So um, when they got a car, they didn't have to come home at all. Quite often I didn't know where they were for days on end. And Tristan knows that to be true. He's quite often out. <laughs> right? and, uh, and how they, like, it didn't concern me if they were out getting drunk or whatever they were doing, because I'd already explained to them the love consequences of breaking laws of love, which, by the way, they felt on quite a number of occasions. Love of self or love of others. Does that make sense? And can you see that that just simplifies your entire life, doesn't it? Instead of having an argument every night with your teenage son or daughter, it's quite easy. But that also means that you're not going to take away from them the effects of their choices. Can you see that? In other words, they don't go out and crank, crank the car and then come home and expect you to fix it for them. Can you see that would also not be harmonious with truth or love? Because if I was harmonious with truth, I would actually say, well, ah, actually, son, you created that, so you're going to have to fix, fix that. And if that means your car's out of action now for eight weeks, your car's out of action for eight weeks. Sorry about that, son. <laughs> it's a very good law of attraction event, demonstrating to you the importance of whatever it is. Does that make sense? There's no need to do all of these big corrections. Right? Uh, microphone, microphone. Where is the second one? Sorry, oh, I counted it back to you. Sorry. Oh, the battery's gone, is it? No, I've replaced it. This one's working. Yeah. That's working good. Um, <coughs> I was just wondering, AJ, I'm slightly. Is there a discrepancy almost or a contradiction between respecting someone's free will if it contradicts um, divine love. So for example, if they're breaking the law, you know, um, they're not, I, I care about how somebody treats themselves, but I also want to respect their free will. How is one more important than the other? Or like, so if for example, my 12, uh, 10, 11 year old came home and said, I want to start smoking. I would love to say I respect your free will to do so, but I also care passionately about obviously how he looks after himself. So Whose house you, are they coming home to? My home. Okay. But if, if it were outside, should we say, or... Yeah, yeah. okay, so if she says, oh, or he says, oh, I'm going to start smoking, Mum. Uh, it's your house, I know I can't smoke inside. Is it right if I smoke outside? I'll be saying, yeah. Do you understand you're killing your body? Yeah. Do you understand there's this emotion in you, actually, the why you want to smoke? And it's probably in me as well. 
Because if my 11-year-old, it's definitely in me as well, lack of self-love, it'll be related to at some point. You release that emotion and your child will feel quite different anyway. But even if you release the emotion and your child doesn't feel different, they're allowed to choose to do something that damages them. You wouldn't assist them to do it. So I wouldn't go out and buy the cigarettes. Does that make sense? So I wouldn't help them you know, have the smoke. I'd say, well, obviously you're going to have to earn your money, but if they're already earning money to buy that, why would you restrict them? Aside from restricting them, in amongst your own environment, in your own free will. In other words, my house, you don't smoke, but you're allowed to smoke outside, that's not my place. And presumably, if I work on the issues that I see being reflected back, that, does it automatically stop that law of attraction with them? Yeah, most of the time, particularly if we've got young children. But as our children get older, obviously it's a little different. But yes, our law of attraction has a huge effect on why our child would choose to smoke when they're 11 years old. Very I'm not saying, so. by the way, I just thought it was the first example. No, I know, like, oh, no. it's an example, but that's a very a good example. Okay. Why would a child choose to do anything at 11 years old? Because there is a law of attraction already within them in their soul condition, which came from their parents. So there's got to be something that's being triggered in the parents. So what often happens is a child of 15 starting to get involved sexually, right? And the parents are in panic mode. Why are you in panic mode? Because there's an emotion in you about sexuality that this is triggering. That's why you're in panic mode. Right? There's an emotion in you that needs to be dealt with and released. When you deal with it and release it, your child may feel completely different about the whole issue without you even having to speak a word to them. Does that make sense? Yeah. So always focus on your own emotion. Own your own emotion. That's the key part. Always focus on your own emotion. There is no disharmony between the law of freedom and the law of free will when you look at it from a purely emotional prospect. You have free will and your free will is just as important as theirs. So you're walking down the trolley, the trolley in the supermarket, your 11, 13 year old says, can I get some ice cream? You don't feel that ice cream is good for them and it's your fridge, your money, so you're allowed to say, sorry, no. <laughs> That's your free will. But now if they've got some money of their own that they've earned, or, or, or they've got money from other sources, if they go and buy it, you can't say no to them now, can you? Because now it's their free will, and again, look at the underlying emotion. What's going on emotionally? Why do they want to eat that particular thing, whatever that particular thing is, if it's damaging to them? Or why do they want to drink that particular substance, if it's damaging to them? You see, many of our teenagers, by the time they're 16, 17, they are already in an emotional state because of our denial of our own emotion. And that's why they want drugs, and that's why they want drink, and that's why they want sex, and that's why they want all these different things in a way that's damaging to themselves, because they're already in the denial of different emotions that we ourselves have been in denial of all of our lives and been unwilling to deal with. So look at the reflection that's coming back. So will I be uh, self? Am I feeling self-righteous towards my son because he's still choosing to eat meat? Um, is there a part of me then, although it makes me feel sick to actually be talking doing it now, is there still, in truth, a part of me that is angry that I have to change, and that's why he's there is something inside of you. If you're, let's say, a younger child or you know, young teenage child wants to eat meat in front of you, and in fact, I've seen some do it even more. So their, their parent becomes a vegetarian and the child eats more meat. <laughs> well, what's going on there? Now, it may not be about the meat issue, 
It's about a spirit of rebellion. It has the emotion in him of you curtailing his freedom. And so therefore will choose often to do the opposite of what you want. Often they are totally driven by just wanting to do the opposite of what you ask. And that's because of this emotion in freedom that is in them and that, by the way, is in you. Because it could never have got in them without it first being in you. So actually you have an emotion where other people are controlling your freedom and what he's reflecting at you is the emotion you need to work your way through. Does that make sense? So if you can see everything, none of these laws of divine truth, none of them contradict each other. They may at times seemingly be contradictory when we don't look at them emotionally. But when you feel the emotion of them, we will see there is no contradiction. Um. I think just with relation to free will, um, I have a mother who insists on phoning me every night. Yep. And I've tried to set up with her moratorium on, okay, call me once a week. Yep. Um, I feel very controlled by doing that because I'm saying, yep. but she she wants to. Here's mum, here's you. You're interacting at the soul level, not the intellectual level. You're trying to interact with your mother at the intellectual level. Mum is demanding attention of you. There's an emotion in you that causes you to respond to her demands of attention. When you release that emotion, and there's a group of emotions associated with it, she'll no longer feel like she needs to impose upon you. If she still, it's very rare that she will continue to do it under those conditions because she won't feel that emotion from you anymore. Does that make sense? So firstly, solve the emotion and resolve the emotion. When you say the words to her, Mum, I don't want you to call anymore, that she's not hearing that. What she's hearing is your emotion, which is, Mum, you're allowed to control me whenever you want. That's the emotion in you. There's a belief in you, an emotion in you. That emotion needs to be released, that's why the law of attraction events occur. When you release that emotion, she will no longer feel the need to control you. Now, sometimes they may still feel the need because of their own emotions. But you'll have no trouble actually saying, Mum, if you ring me again, I'm going to call the police. <laughs> and you won't feel any feelings of guilt about that, you won't feel any feelings of shame about that. You'll feel you've done the right thing by your mum, and you will it, by the way. Because that'll trigger her emotion as to why she wants to control you. Does that make sense? Now, what often happens in our interactions with family is that we are driven by guilt, rather than, and we don't want to face up that there's, there's often lots of things that we can do to actually prevent these situations. But firstly, focus on the emotion. When you focus on the emotion and release the emotion, you will not feel any guilt about ringing out the police and getting your mum never to call again. You, you won't feel any problem with that. Can you possibly point a little more finger at what it might be that I'm not... I'll help you do that. Ask yourself, the instant you get her call, at the instant you get her call, and you pick up the phone and mum's on the other end, you have a feeling. Feel that feeling and go underneath that feeling. Because that's the feeling that's attracting the emotion. That's the feeling that's attracting the event. Does that make sense? If you let yourself feel that feeling, you will work through the issue very rapidly. 
if you just call the police and not deal with that feeling, she's going to be, feel very confused because the feeling is still coming from you. Right? So deal with the feeling first. So just as we're having a conversation, it's rage, by the way. Rage, yep. So under the rage is what? There's feelings under the rage. The rage is the, the crapping emotion. Grief. There's grief. What kind of, what is the, what's the grief about? Um, I feel like she just calls me for to meet her own needs and she doesn't actually call me to actually see how I am. Spot on. That's exactly her emotion. How do you feel about that? Unloved. You're unloved. And you, by the way, you are unloved. Mm-hmm. I, I must confirm. Unseen. Unfilled. Unseen. Unvalidated. Uh, See, you've already identified all the emotions. But now what you need to do is feel them. The best way to feel them is let mum call again. Say, mum, I'm going to hang up because I need to feel a lot of things. (laughs) Just go straight into the feelings. Straight into the feelings of what you're trapping. Feel those feelings. As you feel those feelings, you'll actually feel quite strong emotions which you will, they're all childlike, childhood emotions that you felt most of your life. And you're dead right, your mum has no interest in you aside from the interest you take in her. And by the way, this is the case for many parents. Um, now, I'm very being very blunt and I'm not judging your mum. This is the emotion in her. She's had that emotion in her from her childhood for very similar reasons to what you have it in yours. But allow yourself to feel the grief of those emotions. When you feel the grief of those emotions, you will stop attracting the event because on a number of levels you will change. You will no longer feel guilt. You will no longer have an emotion within you that you've got to seek approval to be loved. And there will be quite a a few other emotions that are released in this interaction. And your mum will stop calling you every night. She might call you every second night or third night. And then add the more truth you speak with her. Mum, you don't actually love me. I feel that you actually call me because you just want me to be interested in your life. I feel, Mum, you need to go and get your own life. And, you know, you will actually break the umbilical cord between yourself and your mother in doing that because you've still got one in place. And what that will do is it'll be great for her too because actually she's living her life through you at the moment or attempting to. But if you feel those emotions and you act in harmony with truth, she'll deal with those emotions as you work your way through yours. It'll be a very powerful interaction for the both of you if you allow it to occur. Yeah. And you notice I said that I've got no trouble saying to my mother, you're not calling me anymore, and if you call me again, I'll ring the police. Why, why would I have no trouble with that? Space with my mum though, and my mum now is starting to watch some of these DVDs, so. <laughs> and so she'll probably hear this at some point. But I went through a space with my mum where I picked up the phone, and mum started talking. I said, Mum, do you want to resolve our previous conversation? And she said, Oh, but, 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 I said, No, mum, mum, do you want to resolve what was raised in our previous conversation? What was raised in our previous conversation was you, you tried to have me committed. Do you want to resolve that? Emotionally. Um, it's usually silence on the other end, right? Well, no, obviously you don't want to resolve that. That's fine. That's okay. But I don't want to talk to you because I want to resolve that. 
and so then I'd hang up. Mm. A month later, mum would give me a call, hoping that I'd actually got over it. <laughs> <laughs> Hello mum, do you want to resolve our previous conversation? <laughs> and I'm, I'm fair dinkum, I do this. Um, do you want to resolve every... No. <laughs> you know, oh, well, I, you know, and by this stage she's starting to get like, oh, but, you know, how can we resolve it? I said, Mum, you need to feel some emotions about it. You tried to have me committed. Like, what do you think that felt like for me? Silence. And Mum, we can't have this conversation. We've got to talk about these issues. I don't want to talk about any other issue. I'll be happy to talk about this issue for as long as you want. Silence. It. Hang up. This went on for nearly nine months. And my mum got to the point where she wanted to talk about the issue. And she did, she spoke about the issue. And when she started speaking about the issue, she started facing the results of her attempt to have been committed. And as a result of that, she started working way through some emotions. So she started crying on the phone, saying she was sorry, and she felt sorry that of the effect it had on my sons and I think she actually had a conversation with my sons about how sorry she was about doing it and she could see, in other words, she started to feel the results of her actions. Does that make sense? And I felt very comfortable with her talking about any issue with her after that. Does it, you can see? Because, it, because she'd actually gone through this process of resolution. Now, of course, for me to do that in a way that was not angry, I had to firstly deal with all of my anger and then my sadness and my grief about having my mother attempt to commit me. Does that make sense? And once I went through all of that, then I could actually deal with her in a space of love, but without compromising. Remember, divine truth doesn't compromise for the sake of peace either. So, so it was a matter of just working away through that emotion. Josh, yes. thank you for our roving microphone people. Uh, I was just wondering if, like, in finding a person you've got an emotional issue with, um, often that will bring up anger, and then, like, the moment anger is there, you're already projecting. But you're already projecting anyway. Exactly. But is it worse when it's actually coming out of you and being directed? If it's being directed at the person, yes, it is definitely worse. But you don't even have to be saying anything. You just feel anger and walk past the person. You can just feel like rage going at that person. Yep, that's just as bad. Like, my issue is how to jump from that state of anger yep. to feeling the grief or whatever is underneath. Alright, so anger is another emotion of self-denial. Uh, sorry, an emotion of self-deception. When we're angry, we're actually denying a deeper emotion of what we're angry about. So the key is to, to, even before you have an interaction with a person, to actually work through the emotions of why you're angry. So if I go back to the situation with my mother, the way I found out that my mother had tried to do this was that nine months prior, she, I, I told her who I was and I told her um, you know, that I'm Jesus and so forth and I told her all these different things and, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, you know. Um, I don't know how you would have acted as a mother, but most of you probably would have been most the same. Oh yes, oh yes. And she walks away in this state of absolute panic. He's going to kill himself, he's going to jump off a building, I don't know what he's going to do now, what's going on, right? This was the emotions playing through my life. So she goes down and has a talk with somebody about it. And in the process of talking about it, this other person uh, suggests she, she, she sees a, um, a psych about it. So she goes to a psychologist. 
Recite says, oh, he's a very dangerous man. You, you've got to do something about this. This is a very, very dangerous situation. And now I've got to, you know, I've got to report it now. So he reports it. And this is all happening unbeknown to me. Mum comes back next month, as if nothing's happening. And the month after, so she'd been visiting me for quite a few months, once a month. Um, of course, during this phase, she didn't want anybody else to know she was visiting me either. So, so she was visiting me privately, and even my family, the rest of my family, didn't know she was visiting me. Anyway, she, she, uh, she's listening to more about, oh yes, she's asking questions now. Why do, why do you feel you're Jesus? And what's the Explain all these different things. Anyway, uh, so, like, I have no idea that all this is happening behind the scenes. And my insurance, I, I had a business which was a property development business, and I had to be insured for all of the money that I had borrowed. So I had a personal insurance covering all the money that I was borrowing, and if I didn't have that personal insurance, and they wouldn't give me or loan me more funds to do my development work. So, so what happens is once a year, every year, I had to go and see a doctor. And I get a, I get a, a physical and a, and a psychological evaluation. And, um, and then they, you know, he writes a report to the insurance company. And the insurance company says, no worries. Uh, we can, we're okay with insuring him for a higher value, which allows me to actually borrow more funds. And so uh, I go, I get called to the doctor just as a normal part of my uh, medical. And then the doctor says, oh, you know, he does a physical, it's looking pretty good. Um, then he says, oh, I see you're having uh, psychological problems. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, no, not to my advantage. <laughs> I don't have any psychological problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he says, yeah. I said, oh, okay. Like, okay, enlighten me. <laughs> like, he says, well, you know, I've got a report here that says that actually uh, you're saying you're Jesus. Okay. <laughs> he says, is that right? <laughs> I say, yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Saying I'm Jesus. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and he's quiet for a while. <laughs> you don't see any problem with that? And I said, no. <laughs> he said, well, this, is, this actually happened. He says, uh, He's really getting quite annoyed with me, too. And he's saying, well, you know, surely you see a problem with that, you know, like, you're not Jesus. And I said, how do you know? <laughs> he said, well, I said to him, look, are you saying that I'm crazy because I'm saying I'm Jesus? Is that what you're saying? He said, yes. <laughs> and I said, well, um, do you believe in God at all? And he goes, rolls his eyes, says, No, I don't believe in God. And I said, Well, how many of your, uh, you know, your patients believe in God? Like 50%. And we live in a very religious environment, you know, it's like when I, where, where I was, and say, so probably a good 30 or 40% would have uh, um, believed in God. You know? And, and he said, I was saying, so you've got no patience that believe in God. He said, oh, you've got lots of patience that believe in God. Okay. I said, so, so you, are you actually saying they're crazy too now? Or what? Like, this is a belief that doesn't agree with your beliefs. My belief just doesn't agree with your belief. You can't prove that I'm wrong. Just like you can't prove that they're wrong. 
So, so, you know, why are you now saying I'm crazy when you're not saying all these people are crazy? I don't get that. Right? Now he's starting to get a bit annoyed. <laughs> and he said, so he said, so he couldn't answer that one, so I of course skipped over that one. And I said, no, no, let's get back to the subject. Like, you're accusing me of, like, being crazy, but, but you've got no evidence whatsoever that I am. None whatsoever. In fact, I said to him, uh, I suggest you, I, by the, at this stage I was living by myself and I had a three-bedroom house. Come and live with me for a month and you'll see whether I'm crazy or not, is what I suggested. No, I can't do that. I said, no, oh, no worries. Okay, have you got anybody who might be able to evaluate me that can come and live with me and see if I'm crazy or not? No, I can't do that. He would just much rather just say I'm crazy because I'm saying Jesus. Right? And I said, well, well, I don't know what we can do about this, because I know who I am. And you've got no idea who I am, and that's understandable, because you don't live with me. And you don't know what's going on inside of me, emotionally or intellectually, or my memories, or anything like that. You've got no idea. You're just judging it based on what my mother says. Oh, I said, by the way, my mother's a Jehovah's Witness. Did you know that? Oh, no. I said, oh, and do you agree with their teachings? Because they believe that Jesus is returning and all sorts of things. My mum just doesn't want to believe it's me. <laughs> anyway, uh, he came to we came to an agreement. He said, uh, he said, look, um, he said, I can't, I can't say that you're psychologically um, okay. I said, okay. Um, there's nothing I can do about that, right? It's his free will, isn't it? Like he's allowed to make that choice. And he said, now, I want, to, I want, I want you to come back um, in a year's time and, you know, if you've worked through this issue and you feel differently about it, if you don't work through this issue and you still feel the same, then, you know, I'd like to talk further with you about this issue. And I said, well, why would I want to do that? I already know who I am. And I'm just sitting here trying, you know, why would I want to sit here and convince a person who doesn't ever, is never going to believe who I am uh, any of the evidence either, who I am. Like, I don't want to do that. So, I'll just agree. I said, I'll, I'll agree at some point in the future you'll meet me and you'll realise that what I said to you was true. Um, but aside from that, I can't do anything unless you want to go further with it. But anyway, he decided to not go further with it. Um, because in the end, I, I think I, my logic was too logical for what he was actually, <laughs> he was actually saying. So, so he just gave up doing anything further, but he refused to sign the document. What that meant was that uh, I could no longer develop. So my job was just like, gone, like that. And, uh, and so that, of course, I had a lot of emotion about that. Um, and uh, it was my only form of livelihood. and, uh, and at the time, I had a number of other emotions about money and self-sufficiency and all these other things which I've since worked through, but um, I had to deal with that emotionally. My mother actually going through that process. Does that make sense? And allow myself to work the way through it emotionally. Once I worked my way through it emotionally, and I, I, it took about a month, then I raised it with my mother. Because by that stage, I'd released all the emotions of being in a rage with her, being angry with her, you know, and then underneath the emotions of like my mother not even knowing me, doesn't want to know me, doesn't want to, just wasn't even believing any conversation I was having with her, 
Um, all the memories that I talked about with her, she just didn't want to believe any of them. So there was a lot of emotions about that and a lot of emotions about being rejected by my family because I had been rejected much, much earlier about my family and had not dealt with some of those emotions. So there was a lot of emotions to work my way through. And once I worked my way through those emotions, I could talk to my mother with love, but not compromise. And so that's what I suggest. If you're in a rage yourself, work. if you know what you're in a rage about, work through it. Deal with the underlying emotions of it. When you feel you've done it, go and talk to the person. Because most of the time when you feel you've done it, you've yet to finish it. But if you feel you've done it, go and talk to the person and let whatever comes up as a residual effects of that come up and deal with that. Does that make sense? Then when you do that, what will happen is your law of attraction will change anyway. Ironically, after that time, my mum started actually feeling that maybe I might be right. And now, Mum is actually now uh, watching the videos that are being produced um, about all this stuff. And the last time she actually came to visit me, we had very long chats about the law of attraction and how the law of attraction works. And uh, but she's still having difficulty um, understanding how her son knows all these things <laughs> when she knows nobody told me them. So she's having a lot of difficulty with that, obviously. But but. Can you see how even the law of attraction will change when you live in truth about and don't compromise the truth about all those events? Now, I could have skipped over all that. I could have said to mummy, mum, look, uh, you know, I could have said, oh, I've already forgiven you when I hadn't. I could have also skipped over it and I could have said, mum, you know, I don't want to see you anymore. But that's not very beneficial either to either of us. It's not really loving to ban someone from your life. So I could, you know, could have gone through lots and lots of different stages, but in the end, hopefully, I would have ended up with the same stage where I feel now, which is a deep love for my family, the same way as I feel my deep love for you. It's no different, my love for them or you. And I feel also this deep feeling that everything down the track will work out quite well. Um, but that is after lots of emotions. Does that make sense? So I really appreciate everything that's been said about mother, particularly the lady down the front. I had a relationship with my mother based on guilt, and it's only through that lady's articulation of her relationship and the phone calls that I've just started to see how my relationship with my mum, um, you know, I'll you say, I deeply adored my mother. Yep. I just loved her. Yep. But she's now in spirit, so that's why I'm sharing this. My mother is now in spirit, and I still feel really blocked in regard to her. Feel really deep feelings of guilt, and like I still need to serve her, that I need to hold her memory up to some kind I of do. glory. Yeah. Um, I'm having trouble with my mediumship skills yep. because I feel like because she won't communicate with me from spirit because she's blocked in anger, yep. I'm also blocked in it as well. Yep. So um, when, I brought it up because my mother's in spirit and so um, I wrote down everything that, that most there, There's a couple of things that, that I'd like to say with you if I could. 
The issue, the issue is going to be with both you and your mum is truth, the issue of truth. At the moment, there's a set of truths that you're telling yourself that are not actually true. Like one of those truths is that you said that you deeply love your mother. It's a, something that you currently believe, but actually it's not true. It's not true because there is also a deep rage towards your mother. And the deep rage is about how you were not protected when you were young and how she knew about sexual abuse that was occurring with you and, and, was it, and didn't protect you. So there's a lot of very, very dark emotions that you also feel towards your mother. And the reason why they're not being released is because you want to maintain the internal truth that I actually love my mother. So the key is for you to allow yourself to start digging deeper than that and start seeing actually those deeper emotions. For her it's very similar. She had a very similar relationship with her own mother. And at the moment she's very focused on feeling things towards you, blaming you, rather than actually looking at her own emotions towards her own mother and father and what they needed to do with In each case the truth is what's going to expose everything. And not compromising about the truth is very important. The truth is that you have some very strong emotions in you of anger towards her. And you can't love a person while you're in a rage with them. So allow yourself to feel the rage and then dig deeper under the rage into these deeper emotions and allow yourself to feel the truth. The truth, the, some of the feelings of truth are, mum did not protect me. Mum did not care for me. Mum cared about herself more than me. And so forth. And many of these feelings that you have, Jen, are actually true. But the truth is mum did not care for you more than she cared for herself. She, she cared for herself far more and didn't really care so much about what was happening to you, particularly sexually. The truth is that your mum knew events that were occurring that were damaging to you and refused to deal with them emotionally. She knew what her husband was like and refused to leave him for lots of different security reasons within herself. She sacrificed you on her altar of lies. And I'll say that again because it's the one thing to be very specific about. She sacrificed you on her altar of lies. And many of us do that as parents in order to stay away from our own emotions. And again, your mum has just as much ability to progress in divine love as do any of us here. So she doesn't need to judge herself for any of these things. She does need to feel the emotions of what she's created. Does that then mean that that happens children? Yes, it is. And particularly, you know, your sons definitely feel that pattern. Um, where they feel very responsible for you and they feel like they love you dearly, but actually there is some deep rage and anger within them for the very same reasons, the very similar reasons. Uh, when you heal the emotion in you, you find your children will heal the emotion in them much more rapidly. All right, what's another one of these uh, ones? A fearless existence, yeah? Fearless existence. Divine truth results in a fearless existence. By the way, I'm not going to cover them all because we're not going to have time. And every single time you become afraid, you are no longer in a state of love. 
And ironically, you are also no longer in a state of truth. The reason why is that fear is false expectations appearing real to you. Right? So every time you're in a state of fear, it's because you expect something that's actually in error from God's perspective. Now, it may be not in error from the perspective of man. So, for example, you decide to not pay your taxes. From a man's perspective, that's going to be perhaps in error. But it's only in error from God's perspective if you lie about it. Does that make, can you see the difference between the two? Or if you expect the government to provide you with things that you're not now paying taxes for. So in other words, oh, I expect my government to grade my road, but I'm not going to pay taxes for that. Right? Then obviously now I have unjust expectations, which is also an error. Mind you, the government could grade your road without charging for taxes at all. They have other means of raising revenue, uh, which is including the printing of funds, but because of the world's economic system, they don't do that anymore. So that's one reason why you pay taxes. So there's all these things involved with the paying of taxes, but in the end, if you were living in a fearless existence, you wouldn't be afraid of authority, would you? So therefore you wouldn't be afraid of what they could do to you. Would you then be afraid of losing your house? No. You wouldn't be afraid of losing your car. You wouldn't be afraid of being put in jail. You wouldn't be afraid of anything. Can you see that? If I'm afraid of any of those things, I still have an emotional injury to work through. And I am afraid of some of those things myself still. So I have some emotional injuries to work through about fear as well. That's why I'm going through what I'm going through this week. <laughs> but when we get to a point of abundance with God, we will be fearless. When we actually long for divine truth with all of our heart, we will actually be also fearless. And it won't matter to us what goes on around us. We will not be afraid of the outcome. <laughs> That's a lot of freedom, isn't it? But it also means dealing with a lot of released emotions. Because most of us have some emotions about fear inside us. So, one of the things I mentioned about fear was if uh, I was. Uh, where did I go? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, this is one thing I wanted to raise with regard to this property thing that people have been. By the way, there's been a few emails coming back for Peter saying, oh, now we know what AJ's really up to. You know, he's going to become a cult leader now. You know, now we're saying. Yeah, obviously they weren't at the group, at the group were they? But, um, that statement is a statement of fear. Can you see that? Whether I'm a cult leader or not, it's still a statement of fear. So why would you want to have that fear in you? So most people have a lot of fear in them and make lots of decisions. Even down to not understanding what fear causes us to do. Many of you plan with detail in your life. Don't you? So you have a feeling to do something, and then what do you do? You get all the facts together. Right? And you pour over the facts, pour over the facts, pour over the facts, and then you weigh up all the options, positive and negative. What's happening to your feeling, by the way, by this stage? It's way, way out there, isn't it? Like it's hardly even being noticed anymore. And you're in this state of actually analysing facts and details, right? We're in a state of fear, in that state. 
whenever you want to control the future, whenever you want to know what the future is going to be, whenever you want to, you're in a state of fear. The key is just accept that. I'm in a state of fear. What's my fear about? You know? Fear comes from it at its root cause, comes from a lack of reliance on God. That's its root cause. Can everyone see why that would be the case? If I completely relied with all my heart on God, would I ever be afraid again? So obviously there's an emotion I'll need to work through. When I work through that emotion, I will then be in this fearless state. So even me wanting to know, like, like, let's say we're all about to buy a property together. Even me wanting to know how much you can donate is a fear. Can you see that? Why would I want to know that? We either get enough money or we don't get enough money. <laughs> right? If we get enough money from the desire of everyone together, then we'll buy the property. If we don't, then we won't. Why would I be afraid either way? Can you see? It's all driven by fear. Oh, I want to know when somebody wants to be paid back. Why do I want to know that? Because I think I might not have the money when they want to be paid back for them to be paid back. What am I afraid of? I'm afraid that my law of attraction won't bring me the funds that are necessary to do what needs to be done. I need to do with that fear. See, on the divine love path, can you see how everything is focused on your law of attraction? So everything is then focused on you allowing it to trigger the emotion in you and deal with that emotion. Every time you plan for the future, you're planning to work around your law of attraction. Can you see that? Can you see how every time I plan for an event in the future, I'm really what I'm doing is I'm trying to work out what might happen in the future and I will then have a plan to work around that. But if that event would happen in the future, then that was my law of attraction, to bring an emotion to, my, to the surface within me. That's God's messenger of truth to me. Why would I want to work around it? Can you see? Why would I want to work around that? I was a meticulous planner. Every single night I would write down everything I was going to do the next day. And on many occasions I would also write down everything that could go wrong the next day. And how I was going to fix every one of those things. Now of course, a lot of those things never even happened. But I still did this. And in the end it's because of all of these emotions of not wanting to understand the truth. In the end. That God has me in her care. Everything that happens to me is something to release an emotion that will help me go and grow. Can everyone see that? No, just wait for the mic. Um, no. When you get your law of attraction is working perfectly, everything will come to you just when you need it. You won't need to book things ahead, you won't need to... None of that. Ah, but see, now you're triggering emotion, you see. The emotion is, oh, but the money's involved. So there's an emotion around money when I worry about that. Why would I worry about that? If I have unlimited funds and I believe I'm super abundant, why would I ever be concerned about making the monetary decision? So how many of you get the early flight because it's cheaper? Yeah, you've got a problem with money. You, don't, you have a problem with how much you're worth. Does that make sense? Because if you're worth more, you wouldn't do that. How many of you get the different, a different you know, vegetable, fruit or you know, produce because it's on sale? 
You've got a problem with money. If it's not really what you wanted, you've got a problem with money. Can you see, like, these are all just things triggering these emotions, constantly happening around us. And if I was in this state where I was abundant, would I worry about those things? If I loved myself, would I worry about those things? No, I would not worry about those things at all. And ironically, my law of attraction would be so strong that whatever I desired would automatically happen for me anyway. That's where all of you are headed, to that place, where you don't have to worry about anything. Isn't that great? Yeah. Just imagine being in that place. It's awesome. And you'll find as you work through these issues of truth rapidly, you'll get to that place a lot, a lot quicker. So you'll be absolutely surprised by your law of attraction. Really surprised. You know, you'd like you'll want something and all of a sudden somebody will give it to you or you know, something will happen, exactly what you want it comes to you. You know, you'll get gifts given to you of all sorts of things. Also, you know, many of you don't believe that can happen at the moment. And that's why it's not happening, because there's emotions in you, oh, that can't happen to me. You know, I'm not worth that. You know, there's all these emotions we have to work through first. But once we do, we'll be in a totally different state. Yeah. Now, it's half past uh, five, actually. Um, interesting discussion about truth, isn't it? Yeah. What, what I suggest you do with the stuff that we haven't covered is to go through it yourself and just allow yourself to meditate about these principles of truth and how, when they are in you emotionally, how they will change your life. The reason why I suggest you do that is because many of us still have a hate of truth here in the emotions. We have a, you know, we're so worried and afraid of truth in ourselves emotionally. And part of the thing that can help us get out of that state and into the state of joy of truth is by actually reflecting upon what the joy will be living in these places. Many of us have this terrible fear of what our life will be in that place. And we're not yet fully emotionally grasping how powerful and joyous our life will be in that state space. So allow yourself to meditate and feel about how powerfully joyful your life's going to be once you're in this space of love and truth. And allow yourself to start breaking down the barriers that you have inside of yourself as to why you're rejecting truth in your life. Because when you reject the truth in your life, you're also rejecting your emotions. You're, you're, you're rejecting your true self and you're rejecting God while you're doing that. So my suggestion is to do the opposite to that. Start allowing the truth to really influence your life right across the board. Allow the emotions to flow up and allow yourself to feel them. All right, well, thank you very much for today again, guys.